and we just can't we just can't do our normal thing and get like ten <laughs> like ten miles off topic. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's 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 tough with us. <laughs> would it be this podcast if we didn't just ramble forever? Hey, bubblies, and welcome to my streaming bubble. It's that little old podcast where I talk about the shows that I love with the people I tolerate. I'm your host, Jen, and today I welcome to the pod basement in person, Eric. And he's here so we can talk about the third season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Hello, Eric. Did you call your mother? Call your mother. Shit. We got to pause. Eric's got to call his mother. (laughs) While Uh, I make a brisket. Ma. Yeah, I'm in the pod basement. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, she fed me. (laughs) Yeah, we're good. All right. All right. I love love you too. All right. Bye. <laughs> I felt like that could have also ended with like, yeah, okay, not right now, Ma. Not right now, Ma. I'll call you I'll call you back later, Ma. Okay, bye, Ma. I'm sorry I'm a disappointment, Ma. No. <laughs> no Jewish boy will ever fully satisfy their mother, believe me, no matter what how they turn out in their life. <laughs> always be a disappointment. I and I always felt like that's a common thread between Jewish kids and Asian kids is we will never be able to properly appease our parents Mm -hmm. where we are not going to be giant disappointments. And this is jumping ahead a little bit, but I appreciated the line in this season where they talk about uh, Chinese guilt on par with Jewish Mm -hmm. guilt. Yeah. Uh, I'm not Chinese, but I can speak as a Korean that that Korean, that Asian guilt, that shit is fucking deep Mm -hmm. and it is old like it, like they said it's ancient and it can rival i'm not experienced with jewish guilt but i feel like it rivals jewish guilt well jewish guilt asian cultured uh guilt and i would say irish guilt it's Ooh. probably all on there on the same spectrum with each other sure. i really do feel that way because I, irish guilt it's a little easier for forgive for, for, uh, for forgiveness <laughs> Excuse me, uh, because you could just go to church and just, you know. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. W- we don't really have that. I don't have confession. <laughs> I don't, you know. Um, I do something, you fucking did it. And mm-hmm. that and that is stuck to your soul for the rest of your fucking life. Ever. For something your mind gets and to pick And let me tell you at. something. 15 years from now, I'll be sitting down at dinner with my mother and she'll be like, do you remember in 1994 <laughs> when, when you, you broke my heart? When, when you broke your mother's heart? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 that shit sticks to you like glue, man. It's, it, it sure does. That is sucks. some traumatizing <laughs> shit. It's funny, though. <laughs> so, but aside from cultural guilt. <laughs> We are going to be talking about um, the third installment of the Amazon Prime original series. So this is going to be kind of the synopsis spoiler warning. But in this season, we see Miriam, a.k.a. Midge, Maisel, live the touring life with crooner Shy Baldwin. Susie continues to climb that manager ladder by juggling both Midge and the insufferable, but still kind of delightful Sophie Lennon, played by the wonderful Jane Lynch, and kind of kills it. Other than her budding gambling problem. We catch up with Joel and him striking out his, on his own because we just love seeing a rich white dude make it on his own. <laughs> Plus, <we> ever... <laughs> I mean, it's, that story's never been told. No, no, no. So thank God no, they, they got it in here. Thank God that they finally <laughs> paid attention to the white guy, right? Jeez. And the rich. I yeah. mean, that's totally it's not the Paladino's way. That they got their due. <laughs> Uh, plus, there's a bestie fight. 
And the elder Mazels get themselves some new roomies and instantly drive them to the brink. <laughs> and there's so much more that we will try and cover. Um, so let's go ahead and get started. Absolutely. So, Eric, thoughts on this season overall? How many times have you watched season three? Ooh, this is my fourth time, I think, watching season three. I think it's my fourth. It's definitely my third at the very <laughs> least, but it may be my fourth. Um, and overall, this is a great season. Um, I remember uh, in the last recording, I said season two is my favorite of the seasons, and I still stick to that. But season three is a very fun season because now we see every single character in a different place in their life, you know, and we're seeing how they're coping with different um, adventures how they're struggling, and we also witness new struggles for the characters in this season. So I think season three is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody, again, just like in season two and season one, they fucking they play their roles beautifully. And like you said, even about Jane Lynch, you know, insufferable as her character is, I texted you saying, I hate Sophie Lennon, but I love how much I I, I love the character because Jane Lynch is making me hate her. Because mm -hmm. She's doing such a good job portraying mm -hmm. this just as mean person, you mm -hmm. know? So, yeah, I, I loved it. I really did. What about you? <laughs> I really enjoyed the season. I, I liked, like you said, how we kind of saw these characters, like, on the flip side of where they've been the last two seasons. Mm -hmm. You know, we see Miriam. She's thriving as a touring comic. And... Mm -hmm kind of getting her footing there and becoming more confident and playing mm -hmm. these bigger shows as an opening act, sure. But, like, that's amazing exposure. She plays right. the fucking Apollo, which was huge. Mm -hmm. um, we see, uh, and again, you know, Susie is just, I think she's fucking killing it manager style. She she went in there, she got Sophie the fucking Broadway play, even mm -hmm. though Harry, all, like, never even tried and all that, like, Susie made it happen, and she yeah. made it happen with her goons, and I love their little exchange on the oh, phone at Frankie the end, where she's like, ah, you guys are killing me, and he's like, someday. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, break a leg, or call us, we'll do it for you. <laughs> so I love the relationship that she's built with the goons, yeah. or henchmen. Um, <laughs> what was it, what, wait, what was the level? Is it goon and then henchman or henchman and then goon? Oh, God. I don't remember. And I just finished editing that. So. Oh, shoot. Yeah. And it'll, for well, reference, go back. Y'all need to listen to our episode covering the Batman because then we dipped, we dipped a lot into Harley Quinn the and the Gotham and the Gotham series during yeah. that recording, but mm -hmm. which I thought was kind of interesting because of all the other Batman and DC, you know, universe things that we could have gone back to during the Batman recording. Mm hmm. Harley Quinn and Gotham. It all comes back to that, doesn't it? Does. It does. And a bit of Batman and Robin, but that was more poo poo in, but sure. anyways. <laughs> anyways. Anyways, the the Wisemans are <laughs> homeless and jobless mm -hmm. and they're mm -hmm. struggling and trying to figure out kind of what they want to do in this next chapter. Abe's a little disappointed in himself that he hasn't maintained that freedom fighter spirit. Yeah kind yeah. of thing and that he basically got sucked into the world into like that world and look at him he's wearing two sweaters <laughs> it's the 60s man <laughs> and then you know rose really struggling with just kind of what to do next yeah so this was a very uh i actually thought for most of the characters rose had like the biggest like flip to her character because she she's a character who's never experienced I'm throwing this up in air quotes here. Struggle. Right, okay? right. 
she's not struggling right now. She's not. But in her eyes, she is fallen from, for lack of better words, or saints, fallen from grace. Mm-hmm. She feels like her lifestyle has been taken from her. She's now living with her sister and brother-in-law, and she just fucking dreads it. She mm-hmm. has to go back to her family for money. And just everything that happened with Rose this this season, including what I consider to be like that that real epic conclusion to her storyline this season when her and Midge mm-hmm. confront each other. Yep. And seeing her perspective of what Midge does and what she's trying to do to get their life, get her life back, I should say, since mm-hmm. Abe took that, made that 180. Yep. But yeah, Rose, I think, experienced the most change this season as far as her character goes. Everybody experienced their own certain amount of change, but I don't think anyone as dramatic as Rose did. And I think that, and I think that's true in the sense that, like, you know, now she has to do something. Right. And that's the biggest change for her is because before she didn't have to do anything, yeah. you know, but now she wants that lifestyle back. And now she realizes that she wants to be a matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match, find me a fun, catch me a catch. <laughs> Sorry. We're I here all into, week. <laughs> just dipped into Mrs. Doubtfire for a moment. Sorry. Because I always think about that scene in Mrs. Doubtfire when... Anyway, I got you. Um, <laughs> again, more Jewish people. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, she has to go from living her cush life to working to maintain that cush life. Right. And that is a big, big change for her. And she even kind of like calls Midge out, you know, when, after she confronts her family for being misogynistic and sexist and everything, her, her brothers and not letting their... Mm-hmm. Them not letting her be on the family board. Yeah, yeah. I will say real quick, I, w- I was kind of hoping that we were going to see Rose fight for that spot, but maybe down the line as she kind of gets a sure. little more stronger and independent in that sense. But sure. she blamed Midge for that that woman power influence that Midge kind of slowly started to, incor- you know, Midge is doing her thing and she's not going to be tied down, not be dependent on right. the man right. and all of that stuff. And Rose got real mad at her. She's like, this is all your fault and thinking that I can be independent and do things. And, and you know, <laughs> instead and, of basically just being silent and complicit and smiling and nodding. <laughs> and, you know, it's Rose is very much, and I don't mean this to sound a bad way, but she really is much a product of her time. We have to take into consideration Rose is in her 60s right now. In, it's 1960 in this episode, in this season, and she's in her 60s. So she was born really more in the the early 1900s is when Rose was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't know anything about like how she grew up as a child really that much. We got a better idea now that we got to meet her brothers and, you know, the fact that we know that her much, she comes from oil, mm-hmm. you know, and um, she she's always been rich. Yeah. She's always been rich. So like... You remember on the subway scene where her and Abe see the dollar on the ground? Yes. And they're just like, oh, you know, somebody might pick it up, someone might not. And, you know, then they cut to the very next scene, not showing them doing anything. And the next thing you know, she's handing that crumpled, really ugly looking dollar bill to, you know, to the hostess, to the waitress. I really feel like in her mind, life is given, like, life has given up on her. And she's trying to, like you said, she's trying to get it back. I have a hard time. I have a real hard time sympathizing with her, though, Mm -hmm. just because I know now we see the background she comes from and we know Rose has money. Mm -hmm. It's not like she's ever going to go flat broke and she's really going to be 
homeless, homeless. Yeah. Okay. So I have a bit of a hard time sympathizing with her there, but I do sympathize with her with per that conversation she had with Miriam, Mm -hmm. um, where she talks about how she's going to work to get her life back because like other, like most other women in that era, their lives were basically based on how well, how well they live were based on the whim of a man. Yep. You know, and she conveyed that to Miriam. And after that, Miriam did shut the fuck up. She had mm-hmm. nothing more to say to that. She still didn't let, still doesn't like the fact that her mother doesn't see the difference between comedy and prostitution. <laughs> but I get where Rose is going with that. Mm-hmm. And even though she is a woman who comes from privilege and will always have that privilege, I get it. In the end, despite the family background, she is still a woman in 1960, but who grew up through almost... Well, from, I don't know when she was born, but she's definitely like 62 years old in the, you know, in this, in this season, something like that. So from the time she grew up in, it couldn't have been easy for her, couldn't have mm-hmm. been easy for her, her mother, her grandmother, whose company that was. God knows how many decisions she actually got to make. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll probably never find that out. Yeah. But still, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I agree. It's, so for Rose, it's a, it's a big change and it's, I mean, it would be easier just to live. Not trying to maintain that lifestyle, but, you know, bring it down a little bit, not mm-hmm. have to worry about the clothes and yada, yada. But that's not the Weissman. What I would like to see from Rose in the future, I'm not spoiling anything here, but what I'd like to see is Rose learn how to become more of a minimalist, still be happy with her life, but know that it's not all about... The materials. The materialistic stuff, you know, the things you own, the apartments, mm-hmm. you know. I'd like to see that from her, mm-hmm. but I don't know if we will. I think that might be too <laughs> out of character for Rose. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, we didn't mean to start with the wise men, so we're gonna we'll we'll come back and we'll hit yeah. up Abe as well because Absolutely. I fucking love Tony Shaloub so much, and I love him in this role. He's a so. national treasure. He really is. Um, but I want to try. I want to get a couple of things up and out of the way before we carry on. Sure. Um. What do, the representation in this season? We definitely saw more black actors, mm-hmm. entertainers. Mm-hmm. Um, just they they really tried to cover, uh, tried to make up for the first two seasons. What did you think of Maisel season three and the representation of people of color? And do you think they nailed it, or was it a swing and a miss? I think they nailed it. It's definitely a much. It's definitely much better than the first two seasons go. That's for sure. And although I feel like the, a lot of the representation was just based on, you know, Shy Baldwin and his crew, and we didn't really get to meet any other uh, people of color outside of that, except for maybe like the audience at the Apollo show, I felt like it was a step in the right direction because this was a very, this was a really big time period for people of color, the 1960s. Mm-hmm. So I guess going forward in the series, I would like to see that representation come out more. Mm-hmm. Um, not just in like the people of color being uh, portrayed as just like, you know, singers or things like that. But like, I would like to see them portrayed more, uh, you know, just as actors, activists, you know, friends, you know, people just who people. just just people. Yeah. You know. But I do think it was a good step in the right direction. And I might be wrong about this, so please correct me if I am, but I can't recall. I believe this is also technically the introduction of the first gay character in the show. 
Was Shy Baldwin? I believe so. There hasn't been anyone that I recall as confirmed. Not right. I was thinking about that when I was when when I was watching that episode, and I was like, I don't think there's been any other confirmed uh, uh, gay characters on the series since it started. So I kind of hated the way that it they that we found out, but still, mm-hmm. it was a way to kind of bring it in. Um, and of course, 1960, you know, people were still a little more quiet about that. Sure. Than, so I get it. But still, I thought it was a great job, and I would love to see them build off of that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I disagree. I okay. don't think they did. I, I felt like, yes, we had more, more inclusion, more diversity, people of color. We have some Asian characters, Chinese characters and stuff. Yeah. You know, Joel opens opening a nightclub in Chinatown, so you can't have <laughs> a setting in Chinatown without Asian people. But with respects to... Shy Baldwin and his touring company and everything, mm-hmm. and just I uh, overall I felt it was very pandering. Oh, did you? I did. Okay. I felt like it was kind of a not really a slap in the face, but like they were trying too hard to make up for it for the lack of people of color in the first two seasons. So mm. now here's all these show numbers, these singing numbers. You know, we're going to highlight some talent and everything, which was fine. I know you and I have talked about when. Shows bust out into, like, song and dance and stuff like that. Like, it wasn't done well in Sabrina. I think it was done well here because uh, it makes sense. Because it made sense, yeah. But I just, I felt like, yeah, like, it just, it doesn't make any sense. And here's why. There's no racial tension with Shy Baldwin at the USO show in Vegas, in Florida. <laughs> You know, where people, everyone's just so accepting of Shy and his band, which is fine. That's fairly true, right? Right. But I just remember watching the USO show and everyone was excited and everyone's swaying and dancing and tapping along. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I know this show isn't going to be historically accurate, per se. It's not, it's not a historical drama. It's not a, it's, it's nothing like that, right? Okay. So, and that's fine. You want to paint a world where there's no racial tension in the 60s? That's fine. We can paint these perfect idealistic worlds, you know, as vision, visionaries and creators and everything. Sure. But you didn't do that in the first two seasons. And now, right. and, and then the inconsistency with that within this season is that, yes, Shy Baldwin's allowed to perform in Vegas, but black people in the 60s were not allowed to hang out on the gambling floor and gamble in the 60s. Mm. So now we're in a world where there's no racial tension where Shy and his group can do that. Okay. So we're looking at historical inaccuracies, really, as far as right. what the, what was being really conveyed at the time during the time period. Right. Yeah. And like I said, if this is a, a somewhat fantasy world where that shit doesn't didn't exist, that's great. We can have fiction that has that. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. Right. But again. They didn't set that up in the first two seasons, and so now it's like they're trying too hard to make up for it. Wow. Another issue that I had. I never thought of it that way. Um, and I did Google, too. I Googled Marvelous Mrs. Maisel problematic, and there was a nice handful of articles that well, popped up. So there are. I'm not familiar with the websites or the authors of those articles, so I, I don't know. So I'm, I'm just not familiar with them, but I did kind of scan them a little bit real quick. Uh, the other thing that I didn't care for was, okay, so yeah, Shy's gay. I felt like it took, I, I felt like I was just sitting there during the season just waiting for him to come out to Midge. And and then the way that happened, 
so he's beat up, you know, because he brings a, a boy back to the boat or whatever, and boy beats the shit out of out of Shy. Yeah. So you know, because of you know, like you said, homosexuality being very hush hush or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I wish they could have had Shy come out to Midge in a different way that didn't involve implied violence on a black man, on a black person, on a gay black person. And again, sure. this is to maybe illustrate the strife that marginalized groups were experiencing in the 60s. And yes, this is our first gay character in the series. But again, that inconsistency of this fantasy world that you want to paint for the marvelous Mrs. Maisel versus the reality, which, again, pick a fucking lane, man. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I'm going to agree with you to the set, to the point where... You're right. It does seem like the Paladinos are, pay, are are painting this picture of a near perfect world where everybody just gets along. Mm-hmm. Women are still treated like shit, though. Right. Obviously, you know, homosexuals are treated like shit still. So if you're going to paint this picture of where there's no racial tension, mm-hmm. you should really complete the picture then. Right. Yeah. So... That's or, a little confusing. I'm not or, sure why they would go that. I mean, I don't know if that was truly their intention, and maybe they just didn't think about it. I don't think it was it. their intention. No. I think it's just. But that is that. You're right. That it, now that I'm thinking about that is basically that that that's what I'm getting off of that. That's what I'm that's what I'm taking. From I don't that. think it was an intention. <laughs> I don't think it was intentional. I think it's a hard overcorrection. They tried way too hard to make. It's like. It's like they're like, oh, we could have used an X percentage number of people of color in the first two seasons, so let's double that for season three to make up for it. That's not how that works. Yeah, you're right. You know, I really liked, I did really like Shy. I really liked Reggie. One of my notes is like, I want more Shy and Reggie angst because you know there's something there uh, beyond the manager and uh, client relationship. You there's- think so? Absolutely. I, don't I think, think so. there I think there's something deeper between you're maybe talking about them past, being, you're talking about them being lovers? Maybe past lovers, best friends. There's a mm. closeness though. Because I of the way Reggie a... the way Reggie spoke about Shy right. implies that there is a deep love. Now whether at sure. this point it's more of just like a platonic love because uh-huh. the romance has blossomed beyond just romance and like sexual tension or whatever there may be. Okay. But from the second, I thought Midge was going to maybe walk in on Shy and Reggie. Oh, that would have been actually an amazing scene. <laughs> or just anything where I, that's how I thought Midge was going to find out Shy was gay, was she was going to walk in on him, maybe making out with like a guy. Or something, yeah. Yeah, and it, didn't, it, didn't, it doesn't have to be explicit, you know. Right, right. Anything yeah. like that. Just it could be one of those things where she opens the door, suddenly you see them quickly spreading apart. Exactly. Away from each other. Right, yep. right, right. So. That was that was my takeaway is that there's there's a deep love between Shy and Reggie and it doesn't have to be a romantic sexual love maybe there once was and that has just kind of grown to become an all encompassing love but yeah. it's very interesting because as much as you and I really appreciate what the Palandinos are able to to put on screen you and I have now been able to really discuss the things that we we the, the little tropes that we notice where they could where they're where they're fucking up mm-hmm. they're they're getting things wrong and they're playing too much either to the audience they're playing too much to making up for what they've lacked just mm-hmm. like this or they're just not portraying things correctly you know and um, i just think that or has just to even do... over and over portrayal sometimes and i think that's 
that's just, and I think that just has to do with their life, their life experience, what they know, what they know how to write. They know how to write which, (laughs) they know how to create rich white people. They know how to address misogyny and sexism, especially in the time where that shit ran, was just so free flowing, you know? So (laughs) my advice is stick to what you know. Don't try and incorporate racial storylines because She's, they're just not going to do it God, I would well. hate to see the Palandinos try to do a project like The Wire or something like that. That I feel like that would just be the end of their careers if yeah. they try to do anything that did not involve rich people. Exactly. Um, but, no, th- that's very interesting. You know, you and I have had done several of these shows now, and there's been several times where you've kind of, like, made me see things from a different perspective, but also kind of swayed my opinion a little bit. And this is one that actually I think I'm kind of really, really going on your side with because I never thought of it that way. Um, here I am thinking, look at how many black actors they've hired to come onto the show. <laughs> look at all these Asian actors that they've hired to come. Most of them you don't even, t- they're all mainly in the basement of mm-hmm. Jules Club, but there's Mei Lin, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Um, and with Mei Lin, I just want to say that hmm, they use the line that, you know, Joel describes her as mysterious. And I couldn't help but roll my eyes at the fucking mysterious Asian character again, because that's very tropey. Yeah. Asian woman who doesn't speak is mysterious, maybe kind of scary, but like in a fun, sexy kind of way. You think it's, So you think that's more based on, on more of an Orient thing than actually him just saying, wow, this woman's mysterious. Because I don't know if necessarily if it, Joel would think she was mysterious just because she was Asian. No, not Joel, but just the writing. Of that line. I don't know. I, I, I don't get the impression from that because... See, and I do because of the trope of mysterious Asian. I guess. She's mysterious. She doesn't speak. Oh, she must be like super edgy. She's got... And that just doesn't apply to Mei Lin, but okay. like the purple streak in her hair. But here know? I am. See, I'm a white male. I don't see it from your perspective. Mm-hmm. So, okay. <laughs> so, like, I'm a... All right. So, like, I've been attracted to women of all different colors and races and, you know, ethnic backgrounds, you know whatever and i try not to as best as i can focus so much on the cultural aspect or the um you know or the skin tone or anything like that i i really just try to see what do i like about this person Mm -hmm. you know and yes there have been times where i have actually found some women i've been attracted to so i keep not bumping i don't mean to (laughs) really don't i hope that doesn't pick up on the the it will (laughs) (laughs) but like, I personally try not to look at a woman as mysterious just because of her cultural background. It's just not in me to do that. I have my wife. My wife is the whitest person that I know. OK, <laughs> um, but even with her, when we first started seeing each other, I wanted to get to know her more and more. But there were things about her that I was scared to get to know. (laughs) So those mysteries always kept me going. Mm -hmm. Um, But right. But these are people in real world. I'm talking tropes used in storytelling for shows and movies. It is the the mysterious Asian has been a longstanding trope for many, many decades. Okay. So, again, it's just 
he could still find her because the character is mysterious. We know very little. We don't even know what what uh, med school she's going to and, and this and that. We These don't are even all... know if she gave him the right phone number. Yeah. Right. You know, but again, why are we writing this character to be mysterious like that? Why are we choosing to use the word mysterious when referencing in reference to an Asian female? Maybe I'm overthinking it. Uh, that's kind of what I do. But it was just in that moment that kind of I rolled my eyes. I think that's one thing that we're probably going to get several, uh, multiple people are going to give different perspectives. Sure. You know, and that's fine. That's fine. And just like everything else, especially in this basement, you know, opinions are going to differ. But this is just one thing where I'm going to say, I don't think it was written intentionally to come out that way. Just like how they probably don't do a lot of things intentionally, but they do. (laughs) But to not do something, but to do something unintentionally is to intentionally not do your research or to intentionally not try harder. Now, I will give you that one. It's very good. It's very possible that they didn't, they just weren't thinking about it. They're like, Oh, no. Joel loves this mysterious woman who also happens to be of Asian descent. Mm-hmm. So with, okay. And this is my last kind of big gripe about yeah. this season. Yeah. So, you know how we talked about in season two, uh, Midge's brother refers to Midge as, Midget, Midget, air quote. And I didn't care for that, and I felt that any other Nick, even fucking Midgelet, I don't give a shit. That's kind of more like a piglet. Anyways, so they use the R word twice in this I knew you were going to say it. I wrote it down somewhere in here, too. So uh, I apologize. I'm going to quote what they said for the first one, because... And it was Susie, too, wasn't it? Both times. What a shame. And uh, Mid, or not Midge, Susie says... Or no, it was Rose. Was it? I have it. I have it written down at, that it was Rose. Maybe I miswrote. It feels like a Susie I thing. I think it was Susie. But she says emotionally retarded eunuch. Well, that's definitely a Susie thing. I, don't, yeah. I can't, can't imagine Rose using the word. So I eunuch. don't. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know why I wrote Rose. But that's okay. I was just going fast. That's all right. And then when they're in Vegas and Susie and Midge are gambling. And they're, you know, they're at the slot machine. That should have been something. Should have been, been something, something, you know, like blueberry, blueberry, lemon. Yeah. And she calls it a R-worded looking blueberry. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why? Yeah. Why? So I know that you and I have had discussions about, you know, them using this type of, uh, these, t- this t- these type of words just for the sake of using them without them having any real relevance in the story, mm-hmm. you know, or not really... You know, it doesn't really fit. What's the point of using it? Mm-hmm. And that was something that I will completely agree with you on. There was no need. To, they could have chosen a thousand other words mm-hmm. to use in those two particular scenes on those lines. But no, they went there. Yep. But you know what? And I hate to say it. That's classic Palandino for you. Mm-hmm. That is. Look at Gilmore Girls. And especially in the later seasons. Well, I don't think the Palantinos were involved. Not in the last season. In the last season, but I think they were making like gay jokes before the last season. Oh, all throughout the series. Yeah. Yes. So there's plenty of homophobia and the use of the R word throughout that series. And I, and their, and their big issue with their writing is they put the lion. They put the, they use the words to 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 make the scene funny because they think they're they think it's funny. And mm-hmm. what what bothers me is I don't know if they truly it like. In their real everyday lives, do you think they're sitting down with each other, you know, saying, you know, calling each other the R word and calling each other, you know, the F word and just stuff like that? Who knows? 
But if this is really how they talk and they're portraying this in their in their writing, I'm going to have a problem with mm-hmm. that and supporting their work because I, I support their work right now. But I want to believe they're not doing it from a, an aspect of like being hateful. No, but know? again, they're 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 not it doesn't seem like there's any effort to not be to not come across as like unintentionally did... hurtful, hateful, bigoted, short-sighted. It's just an easy word to use to fill in the blank. There are so many other easier words though. Mm-hmm. So many other fucking words. You know what honestly, she could have just said they could have said a stupid blueberry. You know what? It's deformed blueberry. You know. I don't, you know, you don't need to go this this season was from what like 2018 2019 or something because 18 or 19 18 or 19 yeah so we are well beyond the past of fucking knowing better we're we're pretty fucking woke by then (laughs) so we so they need they just they're not trying that's my biggest problem with these oversights is that it just does not feel like they're trying they were i feel like they were told they read some of the criticisms or whatever or were told you need to incorporate more people of color. So they're just like, okay, fine. Here's a bunch of them, but we're not really going to do anything truly substantial with them. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll give we'll give the backup singer some some speaking lines here and there, but you know, and and I get that that shy was the focus, you know, for this season. Right. You know, but <laughs> I don't know. It just it felt <laughs> I, I get you. It felt like a like your your classic like white savior move without actually trying. <laughs> Paladinos, what you gonna do? So I'm gonna ask that they fucking try harder and do a little better. They are old enough to fucking know better. So either they are willfully like not trying because they don't give a shit because they're like you know boomer age or whatever, and they want to yeah. do fucking boomer age bullshit. Then. Great and look. If you're good gonna, luck to you. If you're going to create a show based in a certain time period, and you're going to try to make all these people live in a world where, the like we mentioned before, there's no racial tension, and like I said after that, you have to take into consideration everything else that goes along with that, from the sexism to obviously, uh, you know, these words that are used to bring down people with disabilities. You know. Mm-hmm. You have to take everybody into consideration if you're going to do that. I feel like they're trying too many things, and they're just clashing it all together, and it's just not working. See, and I feel like I feel like that. Yes, they are trying too many things, but there's no heart behind it. There's there's no real commitment of really wanting to to try and be better. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, we we need to. We need more, you know, black characters. So here's a bunch of black characters. Here's the Apollo. And I kind of felt like the Apollo scene, too, where Midge performs and she even first brings up like, oh, I don't belong here. I'm the wrong shade. That felt very like, very almost like a commentary, like like they were kind of trying to tug in cheek, like address some of that a little bit. But here... Here's a pretty white woman and she's going to succeed at the Apollo, you know, because she's funny and this and that. And because she's got these jokes that are cracking up, but they're bad jokes because she outs shy to the audience. So I felt like that maybe unintentionally was a giant metaphor for like this season (laughs) in the attempt for representation. That is Reggie's fault. I'm going to go out and say it right there. I have that written somewhere in my notes. I feel like that joke is completely on Reggie. 
All Red, the all the gay references to Shy? The, mainly the Judy Garland shoes one. Mm. That's the big one because that's the one she was called out on at the at the runway at the uh, airport. But Reggie, yes, I understand. Reggie didn't know that she knew. I respect that. Okay, but Reggie was basically just assumed things. Mm-hmm. Okay, he assumed she didn't know this about him, even though he knows her and Shy have been spending time together alone, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. He knows that Reggie's not, or he knows that Shy's not fucking her. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm just saying that I feel like by Reggie saying, going out there, go out there and talk about Shy, he kind of opened that floodgate himself. And even when she confronted him about that, when she was kicked off the tour, he he was like, I know, I know. But you can see it in his facial, facial expressions. Like his eyes are going up towards the sky. It's like, I know. And I regret telling you to do this. Like Mm -hmm. he... He's, he realizes what he did. Yeah. But at the same time, he's he's been in this game for too long to like, to go to Shy and be like, I fucked this up for right. her. Because he doesn't want to hurt Shy. Exactly. Because he loves him. And, he, and he does. Him. He does. Shy, Shy, he loves him. Shy's like his, Shy's his brother. Shy's his boy. You mm-hmm. know, Shy's whatever they may have been, you know. But it's Reggie's fault. I'm just going to say that. It is Reggie's fault. She didn't know that there needed to be any type of line drawn if see, she had okay. that kind of consent. Okay, but see, we talk again about the strifes of the 60s, you know, and homosexuality being still very much like hush, hush, no, no. Mm-hmm. So why would she think it's a good idea to go out and make, even though it wasn't in the house and she was still two doors down, she willfully, knowingly made these veiled, not so veiled references mm-hmm. to Shy's sexuality. And why would you do that to your friend in the 60s if that's going to put them in fucking danger? That is true, too. That so is very true. that's not just on did you Reggie, get the imp- but that is all on Mitch. Did you get the impression that the audience even caught on to that? Oh, absolutely. It's different. Now, it'd be like, I get that there's that possibility that, you know, there's rumors around about Shy and maybe he spends too much time with this male band member or this male band member, even though he's seen photographed with all these beautiful women. You yeah, know, there's yeah, still right. gossip columns. People are still going to talk. They see things, whether it's in context or not, and then they're going to draw their own conclusions. Sure. I felt like. So I felt like that's maybe the scenario where there were some rumors about Shy's sexuality, which they had to continuously battle by having beautiful women on his arm constantly. Right. But again, you don't fucking feed into that, right? In the 60s, when this person is your, quote, friend, right? You already saw what happened, what can happen to him. When these things... Why try to make it worse? Exactly. Yeah. All right. So, I... <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's... Again, that's that, right? You know, that it's something that probably went over the top of their heads, you know? But I think also at the same time, to credit the Palandinos here, that is a little bit of clever writing as well. I because... think that was absolutely intentional for the storyline. Right. Right? Is, because but I... I think that... I couldn't help but... I think I have in my notes, you know, like, careful, Midge, your white privilege is showing. Like, Midge, the the thing that I love about Midge's character, not, like, personally, like, as far as, like, oh, I love this about her, I adore it. It's actually, I hate it about her, but mm-hmm. I love that it's written into her character, yeah. is that she gets so caught up in her act that 
words start rolling off the tongue without her realizing what she's saying. Mm -hmm. And she just knows how to take anything and make it sound funny. And even though, yes, she did out him, I don't think she even realized what she was doing when she was doing it. Because at the same time, while she's talking about Shy's shoe collection and his wardrobe and the makeup on his collar, which is his again. Mm -hmm. She's also talking about how she, you know, Shy's got the old people everywhere. You know, he's got a yes guy for everything or something like that. You know, and I, I don't remember, but I feel like she made a reference to so many women, but I could be wrong. No, I think because, you know, in the, in the, in her joke about he's got all these yes men and, you know, mm-hmm. pretty much only men. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. So that was that was bad paraphrasing of the line. So she's not if she I don't remember her mentioning like having shy having a lot of women other than maybe possibly just that it's still somewhat of a of a ruse without coming right out and calling it yeah a ruse. But she knew what she was doing. And I think that is intentional writing. That is the drama and that is the the conflict for the end of this season going into next season. Sure. You know, so within the series on the characters part, yeah, that's just that's just <laughs> Midge's white privilege is showing in that in that scenario, in that yeah. situation with the Apollo. Yeah. But again, the whole Apollo scene and the way that scene was filmed and written that still felt very pandering and very much like, like I said, like almost like a metaphor for this season of like, look, I'm like, here's this pretty white lady. She doesn't feel like she belongs. She even says, I don't belong here. I haven't earned my way. I felt like, yeah, you don't, you haven't earned having all these black actors on your series. You don't deserve to be on stage performing for a black audience. Yeah. And then we, knowing Midge, the character, once she gets that first laugh, like you said, mm-hmm. the jokes are going to keep on coming. And as long as she gets a going. laugh, she's going to keep rolling with what works. And as an entertainer, right. performer, you can't necessarily blame her for that and getting caught up in that moment. But again, the inconsistencies of the time period and these jokes and when it's and the fact that the Midge character felt comfortable to make these jokes and put her friend in danger, even though homosexuality is still a very dangerous way to live in this time. Like make up your fucking minds, Paladinos pick a lane and stick to it. You want to create a perfect fantasy world where none of this shit exists. Great. I don't care. That's the fun of creating and writing, Mm -hmm. but you're not, there's no balance Mm -hmm. it in that. And so when it comes to the representation, it feels sloppy. For the people of color representation, I can't, I don't feel like I can speak to uh, Shai's sexuality and how that's handled other than I didn't care for it being Midge finding out through a violent yeah. action. Because right, right. um, as, as a straight woman, I'm out of my depth there. And so that's not, my opinion is not the one that needs to be heard when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, but that is my only criticism regarding Shai's sexuality is just how Midge found out. Sure. Fair enough. Okay. I think I'm done. <laughs> Folks, I promise we're probably, we are going to say at least one nice thing about this season. <laughs> All right. All right. So we're going to go down. We've got our handful of characters. We're going to talk about Midge, Susie, Joel, the Weissmans, and the Maisel. So we're going to try and get through all of this as quickly as we can because there is a lot. So starting with Midge, I will say the one nice thing about her is 
She still has a lot of great hats. <laughs> I do like Mitch. I saw the struggle on her I... face. <laughs> I was like, oh God, did I do I have something nice written about her? But um I like what is it about, what is it about the Pelad- the Paladino's uh, uh uh protagonist? Like what is it? I don't know. It's it's a love hate thing, yeah. you know. Because I used to love Lorelai Gilmore. Now I can't. Oh, hardly she's like the worst character her. on that show. And it's like I like Midge, but at the same time, I'm just like, oh honey, oh mm. honey, mm. no, no. So, um, all I have are criticisms of Midge written down. I don't like the way she uses Joel as her own personal plaything. I am happy Doctor Shazam got his closure oh, and yes. called her ass out. He's not in it. Zachary Levi's not in this season a lot, but those few minutes that he's on screen in both in all capacities, from the hospital scenes with Rose to the confrontation scene at the diner with Midge, fucking beautiful. You can't get really angry when you're really tall. Oh my god. You look how, like an angry building. <laughs> <laughs> how is that whole scene? Funny and heart-wrenching at the same time. Uh, Zachary Levi fucking killed it in that scene. Benjamin is one of the best characters I think that's come out of this series. And you're right. He's barely in this season. But for maybe like the full six minutes worth Mm -hmm. of screen time he might get, he nails it. He nails it. From his interactions with Miriam to his interactions with Rose. Yep. I mean, it's, yeah, he's, he's a great addition to this series, even if it's just... Even if he's never coming back, really. Yeah. So I thought I, so I was really glad that we did get a bit more closure with Doctor Shazam. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, just to, one one other thing I want to say about that is I, you know, the whole calling out thing, I thought was absolutely needed for Miriam mm-hmm. and for him, mm-hmm. um, because he told her that you know what she did was cowardly, mm-hmm. you know, by leaving the letter, but she gave him no opportunity. No chance whatsoever to see if he can handle this kind of lifestyle. Yep. She just assumed, just because that's how it was for Joel. Yep. So she's comparing Joel to, she's comparing apples to oranges, basically, here. Mm-hmm. And they are two completely different people. So, yeah, I, I, I believe that Benjamin got what he deserved in the end, basically. He, mm-hmm. he got that closure. Absolutely. And I'm glad that they let that happen, because Absolutely. without it, I feel like we would have been missing something this season. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That would have been a huge complaint because you can't... Yeah. I think as an audience, we needed it just as much as Dr. Shazam. Dr. Shazam. <laughs> Don't worry. He's really rich. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, I just... I had to just comment on Zachary Levi just fucking killing it and like you said, that six minutes that he's in this season. So, yeah. uh, let's see. So... What do you think about Midge and Joel's relationship throughout this season and where they're at? I feel like it's less complicated. We picked up where they left off in season two. Mm-hmm. They in fucked, bed. They fucked each other. <laughs> so I feel like Miriam, Miriam's expectations of Joel are a lot higher than I think they should be at this point in their relationship. Mm-hmm. So in that USO episode, the first episode of the season where she got upset for him with him for not calling... She made it abundantly clear to him mm-hmm. what this was. Mm-hmm. And he respected that. And he respected it. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. She got really upset over him not listening to her. And I hate people who do that. 
Or you mean she got mad at him for listening to him? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, yeah. So because he took it at what it was, what he thought it was, mm-hmm. versus what she wanted it to be afterwards. And I don't like it when people double back like that. Right. Because it makes the other person look like they're the bad guy. You know? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Miriam did to Joel in that moment. She made him feel like he was the bad guy for not calling her. Yep. You know? And then Joel, excuse me, Joel and her had that great argument and analogy about the dishwasher repairman. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which was the most perfect thing to go off of because Joel's like, the dishwasher repairman doesn't give a fuck about your dishwasher after he repairs it. And if he does, it's not about the dishwasher. Yep. You know? Yep. Um, so... I don't know. I, I feel like the beginning of the season was very rocky, but throughout the season, I felt that it actually got better. I felt there was a lot more support. Mm-hmm. And I really did. They had a couple moments, you know, with the kids, you know, especially with the whole going to school and Queens mm-hmm. thing. But, you know, that I feel like that's just divorced parents being divorced sure. parents. Absolutely. You know? Yep. Um, and they were looking at it from a very realistic point of view of, you know, Midge's touring schedule and the location and the money aspect. Yep. And it's like, yeah, these are very real parent, con- divorce parent conversations. Exactly. And it is refreshing, even for a show set in the 60s, that they are so amicable and able to have these sit down conversations and hammer out these details and everything. And what so. a clever scene the diner scene was, mm-hmm. actually, because we saw it from, uh, from the past to the present. Then back to the past. Yep. And I really did like the way that was shot. I thought it was really cool. I kind of had a note that, you know, for that, because that was in the last episode of the season, that we were starting off with another flashback to, mm -hmm. you know, back the good old happy days of, you know, Midge and, and yeah, well, Midge and Joel. You know, because yeah. we got the flashback last season. But it seems like that was always like a happy place for them, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just where things... They're, they're na- I just I look at it as more just like, yeah, their neighborhood diner that they go to. And yeah, right. these things happen there. So right, right. Um, I did like, I love Joel so much. Joel's I love crush. him so much. He's just so adorable. And when her heart beats, it goes, oh, Joel. Oh, Joel. Oh, Joel. <laughs> Oi, Joel. Oi, Joel. Oi, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, uh, your mother would be foot-clamped. <laughs> so... I I love it, and I really I do really like their relationship and their dynamic. Yeah. There was the one scene, the one you know where she calls up Joel to have him come down to Vegas, and you know to be because Susie's not there and everything. So right, Joel comes down. I love how supportive he is. I mm-hmm. love how there's no like jealousy or animosity or anything like that. Like you said, he was respectful at the beginning of the season of not calling her because mm-hmm. he still loves her. That's why Susie wants Joel in front of, in, in charge of the the comedy money yep. because Joel loves her yep. and will always fucking love her. Yep, he'll make sure she's taken care of. And and I love that because he's able to have those feelings and feel that way about her and towards her, but also go off and strike out on his own and live that that good that the best Joel life He's, he can. He is moving on without her while keeping her in her in his life. Yes. And he is really trying to respect the boundaries that she that he thought she was trying to create mm-hmm. between them. Um, but almost like also realizing that he needs to establish boundaries with her. Cause I don't think we've really seen 
Joel stand up to Midge and say, like, no, no more of this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure. I feel like I feel like maybe that's kind of where Joel is headed. You know, we he's he's got the girlfriend, my May Lynn. They introduce, you know, he introduces them. Like he had no <laughs> that, that problem. That interaction was hilarious. Oh, it was hilarious. I love that part. Uh, he had no problems. There was no issue, no fear, no worry about introducing his new girlfriend to his ex wife. Right, but and then there's May Lynn going. You were married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was hilarious. <laughs> that was hilarious. And, and I love you know, and the way that they kind of played off back and forth with each other but i did not like the parting interaction of malin being malin being trying like, to make each other jealous of each I'm other i'm gonna be a doctor i'm, I'm touring playing... with shy shy baldwin yeah, she's like mm. i'm gonna play the apollo yeah the apollo yeah yeah and then it just went quiet between them yeah y- you know maybe we'll see them more coming together and becoming friends or something in the future who knows but i think i i feel like that was a very real way mm-hmm. for an ex-wife and a new girlfriend who you as the in-between person, me, let's just say me, I mean, I'm still in both lives. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I felt like that was a very realistic way of how things might look. Oh, sure. Especially when that third party, me, goes off to the other room to find yep. out why my circuits <laughs> just fucking broke. Um, yeah, um, I think they just played it off very well towards at the end of the season. Or towards the end of the season, especially when Joel's club opened mm-hmm. and she took the stage, which is such a fucking Miriam thing to do, but whatever. Miriam's going to always kind of, have her moment. But she had to. The crowd was getting restless. They were getting restless. You're so right. So I, I agree. Miriam's going to Miriam, and that was classic Miriam, yeah. but it it was needed in the moment. It was, but the she, she, she said a few things, and then she just talked about how great Joel is. Mm-hmm. And she even did that at the Vegas show, too. Mm-hmm. You know? You know? Yeah, now Joel knows that he's going to be the brunt of some of her jokes. But as his as her friend, he can accept that. Yes. And he is totally cool with her. And just the... she She's really saying nothing but nice things about him. What bad thing does she have to... Can she say about the guy? You know? Joel is fucking amazing. Joel is Joel amazing. fucked up. Yeah. Joel lived... And Joel completely accepted what he did and he he for lack of better words he manned up to it and he took responsibility for what he did Mm -hmm. and he realizes what he did wrong but he's not trying to he's not trying to make up for it by trying to get her back he's trying to just make up for it to prove to her that he's sorry without trying to be a love interest in his in her life again. right he's making up for it by being the supportive friend exactly and the supportive father to their children. Yes. So that was really funny. Again, a sign of the times where they're just like, Joel's, Joel's watching the kids. The, the kids are with their father. Oh, my God. Like, this that's is very modern. Oh, no. <laughs> how, how, how dare the husband, the father, watch the children? Or like when Joel goes to the, go, goes to the proceeding for the, for the divorce. Yes. You know? and then the judge is like, why are you here? Yeah. You sure you want to get divorced? It's yeah. like, dude. It's, just... it's like, dude, shut up and do your fucking job. Right. Pound right. the gavel, sign the thing. I, I'm Susie in that moment. It's like, yes, they're, it's like, yes, they're fucking modern. You know? Right. Just relax. And again, with the inconsistencies of the time period and some of these societal things, mm-hmm. they're, they're, you know, Midge and Joel are cool with each other. That's super weird to everyone, but that's, that's fine. Yeah. Right. But so, unco- I don't know. Sorry. I'll it, stop. I'll you're stop. good. All right. So, yes, Joel fucked up. He's been working real hard to 
uh, make up for it and to do well, not just for Miriam, but for himself and for his children. He wants to get out of living in the factory. It's not safe. All of the, all the, all these things. My favorite is when he beats the shit out of Archie because he refuses to let his friend make the same mistake. Yep. I loved that fight so much, you know. Fucking Archie's like, well, I was there for you during your penny phase. And Joel's like, so you're going through a penny phase? And Archie's like, I don't know. It's just buying drinks. And they just then, you know, or Archie says something. So Joel punches them. And they're just wrestling around throughout the bar area. And he's like, I'm not going to let you make this mistake. I'm, you're supposed to go home. You need to be home by 11. And then they get carried out by the bouncers. And they're like... Oh, these are some of the best bouncers we've had, who we've seen so far. But no, I love right. that scene. And you know what? It was a great scene because Archie fucked up. Archie took this off the ring. Yeah, that, that's what fucked it up for Archie right there. That's how. That's what got Joel's attention. Yep. And Joel's not going to let his best friend slide down the same rabbit hole that he went through. He's still pulling himself back up. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to have to be responsible for the weight of him and Archie. Yep. <laughs> you know. Nonetheless, what's that's going to be? That alone would drive a serious like. I don't know, like division between possibly between Miriam and Joel, because now Miriam or Joel could be in a position where he has to choose between Archie or Miriam mm-hmm. as far as who he's going to be friends with. Sure. Because people do that. Yep. yep. And because, you know, Imogene isn't going to fucking be friends with Joel if mm-hmm. that's going to happen. No. Nope. So. And a real quick note on Imogene. I, I liked her. I liked her this season. The stink bug is gone. Oh, no. There was a stink bug on the ceiling and it's fucking gone. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, buddy. This is going to be fun. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so Imogene, real happy with Imogene's arc. It, yeah. it wasn't huge by any means. No, no. As a side character, but... I we see at the very end, you know, because she's like, nope, she's not going to take the chance with Archie. She's not right. taking him back. And just like Rose, just like Midge, she's not going to be dependent on a man anymore. And so right. she goes to secretary school. And I was so I loved that. And so I loved how, as we said before, we see a lot of these characters kind of on the flip side of where we yeah, have exactly. seen them. And I love that that also included Imogene. Yeah, and so everybody's trying is now figuring out where they are and what they want, you know. And this is as much as you know. There's uh, you know we have our gripes about the season. This and this is a mostly you know uh, a show that revolves around our our female characters. Mm-hmm. You know, this is also taking place in a time period where women were basically held back. Still, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, well, not like they. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you get what so, I'm saying. We're so unrestrained now. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> you know, for the time, there were definitely a lot less opportunities for, oh, for yeah. females. And oh, yeah. women had to work extra hard. Not that you don't already, but still. So seeing Imogene finding her independence mm-hmm. was very important. Even though for a side character, for Midge's best friend, yes. it was important for her to break away from her husband who's no longer at home, yep. you know, like when you, I love the scene when she goes into the club and tacks the pictures <laughs> of their kids and even writes the wrong name on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> that part was funny. Um, but I couldn't help, but kind of be Joel in that moment too, of like, they just painted that. <laughs> yeah. right. It's like, Oh, I get what you're doing, but you could just put those on the table. 
I also loved in that scene too, uh, Imogene's stare and how oh, it, the- yeah, the stare and yeah. Archie just being like, "Oh no, it's this. This is not good." And yeah. it even it scares Joel. I love it. I love it when. When, like, a woman has just, like, a death stare that can instantly change the tone and the mannerisms of the person that they're in front of. Oh. I, Anastasia has that with me. <laughs> I, I guess I have that, too, because I, and I can't recreate it, like, on command. No, that's, a, I that, don't that, know. that's something you have to do at the moment. In the moment. That's an in the moment thing right there. But I know I have flashed that look, and I've gotten immediate apologies from people. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, ah, I love the power. Mm. <laughs> The power is yours. All right. I think that's really all I wanted to say about Joel. Okay. Like I said, I just, I love him and I do love, like him and Mylan, I love their kind of chemistry and the way they kind of bounce off each other and everything. Mm-hmm. Tropy or not, the way that she is introduced in that kind of more mysterious way, there's like that instant intrigue on Joel's on Joel's end, so this is unlike a woman that he's ever been involved with before. Exactly. Yeah, and he li- and he likes that. Yep. And I loved her as a character. I just thought she was. I thought she was quirky. I thought she was fun. Um, I guess mysterious. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, yes, mysterious in the sense that we really like we Joel said. Really we don't know her. anything about her. Right. But what we do know is that she likes Joel. Mm-hmm. And she wants to see Joel succeed in this club. And she obviously has connections. Mm-hmm. And uses Cousins. Cousins. <laughs> uncles. Yeah. And that she uses those connections to help him. Mm-hmm. She's doing it very self, uh, uh, selflessly. But Joel is right. He wants to do this on his own. Mm-hmm. The whole liquor license thing really got to him. And I understand that. He wanted to prove he could do it without anyone's help. Yeah. But at the same time... Joel is a person who's always kind of really been more independent and he gets kind of worked up when other people try to try to help him. But I think Joel's becoming a little more accepting, mm-hmm. knowing that he can't do everything by himself. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, the the theme of this season of people branching out and striking out on their own, moving away from what they're comfortable, what they've known their whole lives. Yeah. We see that with Weissman's Joel, mm-hmm. Midge, and Susie. Yeah. You know, sure. so I think that's a really, I think that's a really good theme. And I think they did a really good job with all the characters. Like, again, like we said, even with Imogene, yeah. even with our side characters, mm-hmm. even with Zelda a little bit. I just want to talk about Zelda real quick. Sure. Because I also love her to pieces. Zelda was great this season. She was, um, I loved her. So at first I was like, you know, I was glad that the Wisemans kept Zelda. But again, that, because again, that kind of shows that they're willing to accept certain things, but not completely let go of everything. Yeah. And Zelda being the one, definitely like the main thing that they don't want to get rid of. So at first it's like, oh, are we only going to see her in her maid? outfit and being a maid and not knowing how to not be a maid while staying with the elder Maisels. Mm-hmm. And then we see her in street clothes sitting with the elder Mrs. Maisel. Mike stand. <laughs> we we found the stink bug. It's on Eric's mic stand. How did it get there? Thank you for saving me. <laughs> My 
hero. But for real, that thing. Drowned. Like you went for the how did it? Dude, how? that's like it was like the flash of stink bugs. I swear to God. <laughs> oh my God. This is a speedster stink bug. That thing was really crawling up there too. <laughs> it's like oh you. Oh, oh buddy. Funny. Where were we? Fuck. <laughs> We were talking about Zelda. <laughs> okay. So I loved, uh, yeah. We we don't get a whole hell of a lot of Zelda, but we do get her just a little bit outside of her maid duties. <laughs> duties. <laughs> uh, she's working part-time next door, and she looks so sad when she makes eye contact she's with going the over to She's going over to the Weissmans on her breaks just to cook for them. Yes. Yeah. And then the way that Abe is just piling the food like this is his last Zelda meal ever. Oh my God, you see all that sauce he was taking? <laughs> Holy was so, shit. Was like a big mountain of it. And then pasta on top? That was... Yeah, I thought that was a little weird. <laughs> I thought that was weird. That that's really like, took me out of the moment. That's like people who put milk into their bowl and then the cereal. Like, you mean psychopaths? The, the, only, the only time it's okay to do that is when you're refilling your cereal bowl with new cereal on top of milk that has been used with, with right. previous cereal. And if you poured a little too much cereal, so now you got to balance that you know milk to cereal ratio oh, out the way you like it. So We're not mad people here. This is just... It's just science. Just um, science. But yeah, I loved how we get the feeling just how important Zelda is to right. the Weissmans. And even when she goes and <laughs> like part of their new morning routine, because it's so loud at the Elder Maisel's house, the Weissmans hide out in their room mm-hmm. and they'll let Zelda, like Zelda will knock on the door and it got to the point where they're just like, come on in. Yep. And then she's just sitting there. But I do, I don't know. I I love Zelda. I love that she just loves being a maid. That's all she kind of knows. Yeah. I'd like to see a little bit more with Zelda. I'd like to get to know her. Yeah. We don't know Outside anything about of Zelda. The, the maid. But you know what? What we get from Zelda, I think, is really good. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I did not like my least favorite Zelda moment, actually, hmm. this season. We're with Abe's little beatnik group. And. <laughs> That one girl whose name always escapes me, and I never wrote it down, when she got, when, when she was, like, demanding Zelda to get, like, new coffee and eggs and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and she was like, I, she was like, I asked you three times, and it's like, she's not your fucking maid, dude. Exactly. I really liked how they kind of, they showed these beatniks to be so anti-establishment, but then just eating they're, up they're so that privileged life. They're yes. So yeah. So... I, I thought that was pretty funny and a pretty good uh, depiction of, because we see that even nowadays. Yeah, you know? we do. So I, I just got a chuckle out of that, because here they are talking about all this free thinking bullshit, but then, yes, demanding Zelda do all these things. Yeah. And we also see Abe, I think it's like in the first or second episode, where he's talking to Midge about how... Abe can do without all these things, but Rose can't. And he can, you know, right. he he can basically, he's trying to say, like, he could live that simpler lifestyle. But meanwhile, Zelda's like, oh, what about this and this, sir? And, and he's answering these, like, privileged kind of questions. Like, oh, I, you know, not this sweater. You know what I mean? I can't remember sure. the context exactly. But it was that very nice, classic kind of Palandino of... Here's Abe. Here's a character talking about how he can do without. And then at the same time, instead of telling Zelda, like, no, no, I don't need that. Whatever she was asking him about. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, yes. And how about we do this for dinner or something like that? You know, mm-hmm. I just I thought that was very clever writing. So, yeah. again, Paladino's 
should stick to they what they know. It. They, they can, can do it. They're more than capable. They can do privilege. They can do white. <laughs> Again, they would fail at a show like The Wire. Exactly. But... Well, and I was even thinking about like Lovecraft Country, you know? Uh, uh, yeah, sure. All like black cast, black creators, this and that, taking place in a time period of social strife and, and everything. And yet... They didn't have to go low with word choices and true and, and stuff like that. That's so true. again, <laughs> stick to what you know, Palatinos. <laughs> I I'll still watch it. Clearly, <laughs> they'll get it. They'll get it. All right. So that's Joel and Zelda. Let's let's double back a little bit to Susie, and Yay. we'll hit up Susie and Sophie and Gavin. Oh my. <laughs> So like I said, Susie's really coming into her own as a manager, entertainment manager, and I couldn't be more proud of her and couldn't be happier to see her succeed. Sure. She seemed very apprehensive, you know, for all the, all the reasons, all the right reasons uh, to take on before taking on Sophie, Midge is being a pill about it. And luckily that didn't last too fucking long. So, um, it was imaging, only really like, like an episode and a half. Yeah. yeah. And imaging really helped with Midge in, in all of that too, because, you know, they're doing their silly workout things. <laughs> yeah. With their hula, hoop with their hula hoops yeah. and their flat shoes, just nothing with any kind of arch support. I'm watching this and I'm just like, what kind of, I was like, what kind of heart rate are, how do you think their heart rate is really going at this point with these, with these exercises? little wiggle of the arms I and all that. I was like, what was that doing? I know. <laughs> the only thing, the only one that looked kind of, that would take a bit out of you was like, just like the twisting. They're on their little thing and they do the I probably twisting. couldn't twist it, do that. I'm not coordinated enough no. for that. <laughs> so, uh, Susie's killing it. What did you think of Susie this season? So, Susie, Susie was absolutely amazing. I swear, there's, Alex Bornstein was born to play this role. She really was. Aside from the two moments that she had this season, you know, where she said the R word, Susie really is the character in this throughout the show who has had the most development, I think, more than anybody. Mm-hmm. Here she is. Here's this woman who's just this, you know, this skeezy nightclub employee. Not that she's skeezy, but the, but the gaslight's definitely skeezy. Yeah, she's uh-huh. a little skeezy. <laughs> yeah, I guess. All right, fine. She's a little skeezy herself. I didn't want to say it. Uh-huh. And I mean that in the nicest way possible, Susie. Absolutely. But here she is going from this nightclub employee whose really only experience is just based on what she's seen in that club mm-hmm. to now managing not just Miriam, but one of the biggest comedians in the world. One of the also worst comedians in the world for other reasons, but still one of the biggest names in comedy. Mm-hmm. She is now the official manager of, and she doesn't just, I mean, for a, for a good portion of the season, she is bending over backwards for Sophie because Sophie's a bully, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, Miriam had to point that out to Susie uh, on the beach in Florida, but um, Susie really started to take control and prove to Sophie that if you let me do my job, you will succeed. Mm-hmm. And she was about 90% right about that. The other 10% had fell on Sophie. Mm-hmm. And Sophie was doing great for a while, and then she fucked up, but that's a whole other story. But for Susie, she did everything right. 
Yes. She did everything right. She did everything a manager is supposed to do. She bent, she went out there. She, she, she fucking bent over backwards and just stretched her neck out for her as far as she possibly could. Mm-hmm. And Alex Bornstein's only like three foot five. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know how tall she really is. such a large presence, you know, that <laughs> she's the, a, the she, personality she's of a Susie. She's a very, very short person, but she, her, oh my God, she could fill a room. Yeah. And I just loved, 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 loved. I can't say the word love enough about Did this. Did you love it? Uh, it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> I loved how, she, in the end, she really stood up to, to, to Sophie Lennon. Yes. That was the breakout moment for Susie this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and also, Susie realized things about herself this season. She has a gambling addiction, hence why she goes to Joel to yep. handle Midge's money. And it takes a lot for someone to realize they have an addiction. And the fact that they actually covered that, I thought was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And they didn't just go, when Sophie lost all of her money on that boxing match, that was the wake-up moment Susie. for her. What did I say? Sophie. Shit. So many <laughs> I was S's. like, wait, so Sophie many... gambled too? <laughs> so, <laughs> so many S's. Yeah, when Susie, when Susie gambled away all of Miriam's earnings on that mm-hmm. boxing match, that was the wake-up moment for her right there. Oh, yeah. And I loved and appreciated the fact that they gave her that wake-up moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was really good. And then... <laughs> And then her and Tess burning down the house for the insurance money. Yes. To get to make up for the losses. Oh, that was brilliant. Yeah, I <laughs> uh, love that. that. Like, that is such a Susie thing to do right there. It really is. And, and, and then also, season two, you and I talked a little bit about Tess. Mm-hmm. And I'm not moving into Tess. I'm still on Susie. But just want to appreciate how much I love that they brought her sister back in. Mm-hmm. Because those two have a, such a great dynamic. Yeah. You know? And the actresses themselves play so well off each other, too. So, um, yeah. So I just love that they had that moment on the boat and even on the phone and Oh, can I just say one more thing yeah, about the whole thing? When Tess and Susie's mother died, mm-hmm. and Tess called Susie to explain that how how her mom died, she said <laughs> she said she said mom's dead, and Susie's like, oh, what happened? She's like, oh, oh, she she crawled out a three story window and fell and fell all the way to the ground. And Susie's like, oh, what a shitty way to go. And she's like, yeah, but she didn't die. She just she then tried crawling back onto the dock, and then she got swept away by the water and. Blah blah blah. She's like, so she drowned. She's like, no, she still lived. Mm-hmm. It just her mom just kept going and going and going. Like, yeah, the, the mom got like hit by a boat. I yeah, think right. Yeah, she was hit by a boat. And and what ended up killing the mom was an infection at the <laughs> hospital. Infection. And Susie's reaction was just like was kind of like, well, is she dead yet? I'm. It's hard to follow. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, but I really, really enjoyed that moment because I, I appreciate that kind of comedy. Mm-hmm. I love that style of comedy. It's like it, it feels so old school, but it's it, it's it never feels irrelevant to me. It's yeah, just like yeah. it's a like, classic. It stands the test of time. It, it does. It's like I feel like a joke can really drag on for too long, but if you if you have the right punchline in the end, especially if the punchline is super subtle. Mm-hmm after a lot of buildup, it actually can end up being pretty funny. Yeah. And that's what I got from that, from that scene. So loved it. Um, Susie, fantastic job. Um, aside from just the, that, those two, my, those almost called the minor moments are pretty fucking big moments. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those two, but they tried to sneak them in. Like, 
you know what like, I mean? Like, like, just like nonchalantly. Yeah. It's like, oh, I just said the word, you yeah. know, it's like, uh. And it's like, I would have to say, like, I have to cr- give a lot of credit to Laura for my, me having a better understanding and awareness of disabilities and discriminations and even just like the subtle ableism that still occurs to this day. And so, yeah, so appreciate Laura for always being willing to have those conversations with me. She's not obligated to in any fucking way, but Laura's she so loves awesome, it. Laura's so awesome, dude. Yeah. She, we love you, Laura. We love you, Laura. She's never going to listen to this. She's not going to know. No. <laughs> uh, let's see. So, yeah, Susie, I couldn't agree more. I loved her arc, and I loved watching her succeed even while she was failing. Even her relationship with her bookie, you know, he's like, you shouldn't be bookies. You shouldn't be friends with your your bookies. And he's like, and we're not friends. But if I was your friend, I'd tell you that, you know, if you have to hit up like three different people to come up with the money you owe me, then you should maybe stop gambling. All all these kind of little things where I'm like, you're so her friend, Mr. Bookie you're looking, man. You're looking out. You are looking out. And but oh, and you know it's it's great that you that you bring that up because that shows that Susie actually has an impact on other people. Very charismatic. She does, and even though she's very foul mouthed, and like I said, for a smaller person, she has such a big presence, you mm-hmm. know. And no matter who she's interacting with people tend to respect Susie or at least respect her enough to tell her when she's in a bind or just like if, or like if you're, that she's failing at something. They want to help her. The goons that were sent to kidnap her are like her her best friends now. I love them so much. Oh my God. Can we get a spinoff with those three? Oh (laughs) my God. Actually, I would just like to see a spinoff on those two and her make guest appearances. All right, Paladinos. Yes. <laughs> Even though you'll probably never hear this. We want a Frankie and Nikki spinoff. <laughs> Still the best. You guys are It could be like me. Picky and the Brain, you know? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what are we going to do today, Nikki? Same thing we do all the time, Frankie. Go break some legs. <laughs> <laughs> break some legs. Oh, my God. I love it. I would fucking watch the shit out of that. Um, let's talk about, uh, Sophie, since we're on Susie, let's hit up Sophie since she's most closely tied to, to Susie. Um, okay. So we both love Jane Lynch. This is understood. She's amazing. She is amazing. I love seeing her in this more, it's still a comedic role and not just because Sophie is a comedian, but the way Jane is portraying her and just these dramatic the bullshit of Sophie, you know, with her lemons and her jellos and all that shit. And her macarons. Jane Lynch is perfect to play this kind of character. Oh, she's, she is so well cast. Oh and I love it. And she does such a great fucking job to the point where maybe much like Emily Gilmore, I'm not supposed to like her as much as I do, but I fucking love her. I love Sophie Lennon. She's the worst. You love to hate her. But I love to love her. You love to love her? I love I love that complicated relationship with just kind of a terrible, shitty person. But yeah. I also feel like while we didn't see Sophie, you know, killing it in the audition and the practice runs where so or Susie's like, this is going to work. This is going to be a hit. I was still very proud of Sophie. You didn't for, need to see it, though. Didn't need to see it. And, you know, when everybody's walking it out adds, of that... It adds the, to the mystery. <laughs> yeah. Well, when, when she walked... When everyone... When the first few people were walking out of the room before Susie came out, everyone just, like, had a blank stare on their face, like, 
Oh God! Oh, like, you, like yeah. you're like, oh God, this is gonna be a fucking nightmare. Mm-hmm. And then Susie's like, it's gonna work. It's gonna fucking work. And then Susie's yelling at everybody. And then yep. that woman who was picking up her kid from ballet. <laughs> she's like, yeah, it's gonna fucking work. She's like, I'm here to get my daughter from ballet. She's like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Classic. Susie. Sorry, another Susie moment there. But uh, but but that's all playing off of how Sophie's character was like the impression we were gonna get is like, holy shit, you know. This is going to, this is, Miss Julie is going to work out. Mm -hmm. This is going to be so good. And then there was showtime. (laughs) And Sophie chokes. Sophie chokes. And (sighs) you know what? And I couldn't help but feel a little sorry for for Sophie. (sighs) Me too, a little bit, to be honest. I did. She, I mean, Susie nailed it when she called her out. You know, basically, you you fucking chicken shit your way out. You, You strong armed and you bullied your way to get what you want. Yeah. And you got it. And you were too much of a chicken shit mm-hmm. to stand up and finish it and see it through. Absolutely. And it's like you could see it in Sophie's face that she knew how correct Susie was in that moment. You saw it just completely in her face. Yep. Like right there on the street, Sophie melted. Like mm-hmm. she literally looked like a shell of her former self mm-hmm. in that moment when she was being called out for just for what she did. Sophie knew. Yeah. She fucked up. Yep. And going back on uh, her, oh, oh shit, what's her name from Queens? Uh, the her her character, um, Sophie from Queens, is it? No. Uh oh yeah, her stage character. Yeah yeah yeah. I yeah. can't think of something from Queens. Uh, the fact that she fell back on that mm-hmm. was the biggest cop out. Oh, absolutely. That she she could have possibly done. And yeah, she got applauded for it. People were giving her flowers. That's all fine and dandy. But that's not what she but really that's wanted. Not what she, that's not what she wanted. That's not what Susie went out of her way for. Mm-hmm. She was chicken shit. And in that moment, when she said that Miriam is going to be a star, what was the exact word she said? She's like, you might be a star, but she's going to be a fucking legend or something like that. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. You know? And, and, and Sophie tried blaming Miriam. Yep. You know? It's like... Come on, honey. This is all on you. When do you think the last time Sophie took responsibility for anything? Probably never. Exactly. But you know what's funny about that is I do wonder about Sophie's upbringing. And what was her childhood and her teenage years like? And maybe even in her 20s. You know, what was this woman like? What For a person who has that much privilege, did she grow up with privilege or did she earn this for herself? It's something we don't really know hmm. about her. And if she grew up in this kind of environment where she thinks it's okay to treat people like this, which I'm kind of leaning towards. Me too. She's probably never had to take any type of, I don't know. She, she's probably never had to take any kind of responsibility for her own, for, you know, for, for her own fuck ups in her entire life. She's mm-hmm. always had somebody else to pawn that off on. Yeah. And now she has no one to pawn that on. Yep. And no one's ever stood up to her like that and called her out on her bullshit. Exactly. So again, another great Susie moment for this season. And again, that's why Sophie picked her to be the, her manager. Yeah. And because, because last season Susie stood up to her. And she knew, and she was she was afraid for herself and for Midge and everything. She Susie was not expecting that to turn into a job offer, and because yeah. she, because she, yeah. And so, I think, I, I hope in the long run, I, I I feel like yes, in the long run, this will definitely help out Susie. She knows what she can do now. She accomplished that. She accomplished her own goals while working for Sophie. Right. Her goals and Sophie's goals weren't the same, obviously, but. No. In in being Sophie's manager, she showed herself 
what she is fucking capable of doing. And she is capable of being an awesome fucking manager and being there for her talent, for her clients, and for sticking up for them. I will also have to say that that last moment with Susie and Midge and Reggie uh, at the airport after he fires them and... Susie kind of chases after Reggie, like, please, we got to talk. We got to figure this out, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. Reggie's last words to her were something along the lines of, one day you're going to be where I am. And you're going to know it. And basically, you're going to know what this is. You're going to know what this is like. Yep. Yep. And I think that is the biggest compliment Reggie has given anyone this season. That, to me, showed that Reggie truly believes in Susie as a manager, truly believes that Susie will someday manage a big star, whether that's Midge or Sophie or whomever. But Susie is going to be put in that tight situation that Reggie found himself in. It's actually, and I loved that because, like I said, it showed that he believed in her. When we first met Reggie, he was a hard ass, and he was like, "No to this, no to this. This this is how it is." But we see him really soften towards. Susie and Midge, and I think really more towards Susie because he invites her down to the barbershop to listen to the fight that she can't hardly hear, and you know, mm-hmm. she's got all the money. And then he is genuinely concerned when she realizes it, once he sees how lost she's lost. Yes, yeah. and he's like, No, Susie, how much did you lose? How much? And it drove me nuts that she didn't tell him, but that's classic Susie. And I'm like, No, Reggie wants to help, he believes in you. You guys could be the best of friends. And the thing is, is that with Reggie, you know, Reggie, I thought was a really, really good character. Um, I really love the introduction of this man into this show because he, 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 he was really what Susie needed to get an idea of what a manager should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was, you know, he wasn't really trying to be like a mentor in no, any way. No, not at all. Not even all the way up to the very end. He wasn't trying to be her mentor, but she was learning from him. Mm-hmm. She was, and she really picked up, I feel, I felt like on a lot of, uh, on a lot of his characteristics as far as like how he likes to do things. Mm-hmm. She just kind of did it in her own little Susie way, yeah. but still she was learning from him. She's taking mental notes. Exactly. From Reggie. Exactly. But I just felt like in that last moment, and I was actually going to bring that up too. Um, I don't think Reggie has a lot of faith in Miriam. I've never really felt like Reggie liked Miriam that much. And I don't think that he feels like she's star potential. Hmm. He, I think Reggie has seen Miriams. acts like Miriams. Yeah. He's seen probably over a hundred Miriams. Yep. To the one whatever. Sure. You know? But he sees, I think, a part of himself in Susie because he sees the passion that yeah. Susie has. And he respects the shit out of it, which why I think he gave that line to mm-hmm. her in the end. It's because... Whatever happens to Miriam happens to Miriam, but he wants Susie to succeed. I absolutely agree. You know? I completely agree with everything you just said just now. So, so market dudes, I completely agreed with Eric. <laughs> um, I want to just go back to one thing because we were talking about Sophie, and again, it's turned into oh, a yeah, Susie yeah, yeah. conversation. But well, it's all, all these characters are tied. They are. And, they and, absolutely and like are. I said, I, I brought up Reggie because I felt like that last line he said to Susie shows that he he does believe, like you said. He never set out to be anyone's fucking mentor, right. but Susie unofficially looked at him, looked to to him for a Got bit of how little to guidance, little yeah. guidance, right? And, and I think he respected the fact that she was juggling two acts, 
you know, to, you know, two big acts. To, to, yeah, right, right. I think even though it was, that was never really spoken. I think the idea is there that he's witnessing her struggling between these going between New York and following her on mm-hmm. tour all the time. But at the same time, she's managing it and yeah. she's keeping a level head, not with the money, but still yeah. with the work. And I think Reggie is a character who respects someone who is willing to put in the work. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. So we'll we'll circle back to Sophie because, like, I was getting ready to say, Reggie is part of that uh, of Susie's world. He he is, yeah. a, is a rotating planet within her atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I like so, that. But yeah. But back to but back to Sophie. Um, and oh yes, and we get Carrie Ellie's um, the Dread Robert Pi- Dread Pirate Roberts from, from Princess Bride. Yep. Yep. And a, obviously a fuckload of other things. But he was great. I loved him. And you know what? When we first met his character in that dressing room, and he's like getting the makeup off, I did not recognize him. But I'm like, who is that? That is someone familiar, you and know I should me know was them. The voice. It, was it wasn't voice. even the voice. It wasn't until oh, okay. they showed him, showed him, like trying to do the rehearsals with Sophie. Did you realize it was him? Where I was like, well, when the fuck did they introduce him? Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so I got, so the first time I watched this season when I was sitting with Anastasia, I didn't recognize the guy by, by the way he looked either. I was just like, I was like, I don't know this dude, but he sounds super familiar. Yeah, yeah. And you know, if you pause a show on Amazon, it shows all the actors yep, that come yep. up on screen. So I had to do it. And I was ah, like, well, smart. what's funny is when I went, I was like, I was like, I, I know this name. I know this face. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> so I went into his, uh, went, I went on to his, uh, de- his uh, filmography. Boom. Princess Bride popped up very first thing. I was like, oh, as you wish. Yeah, of course. As you wish. I thought he was fantastic. Gavin, even though Gavin technically played a big role in the season, but wasn't huge per se. He was, he was just basically, you know, he was the sub lead to Miss Julie. I thought that the, the moments we had with him were hilarious, mm-hmm. and the the tension between him and him and Sophie was great, especially when they were having sex. <laughs> they were hate fucking, <laughs> and the dude kept holding the phone so Susie could hear. And Susie's like, "Stop, God, that is disturbing and terrifying." <laughs> and she's like, "Are you sure that's not the dog?" <laughs> um. So I liked. We did get a handful of. Um, some celebrity spots. We got Carrie, Carrie Elise, uh, Wanda Sykes as yeah. um, the... Mom's Mabley. Yeah. So I loved that. I think I'm done talking about Sophie. I love Sophie and I love Jane Lynch, but we'll see what happens. You already know, but I'll see what happens with that whole little group. Have you noticed that not four. once in our conversation I've been like, oh, wait till you see next season. I know. I've gotten so much better, the, you, you guys. You like have. Non-spoilery thing. <laughs> <laughs> You were. You've done very good today. Thank you. All right. So we're going to go ahead and hit up the last of our cast right Mm now. We've got the the Wisemans and the Elder Maisels. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about Rose. I want to talk about Abe because, first of all, Tony Shalhoub looks damn good without a shirt on. He has no business looking that good without a shirt. So good job, Tony Shalhoub. You look fucking amazing Hmm. good Um, for you Tony oh I do want to say one quick thing about Rose you know last season we got drunk Abe at the Catskills so I liked that we got drunk Rose in Vegas uh, Mm. this season even though it didn't pan out you know it wasn't as like fun as drunk Abe in the Catskills was just fun 
One of the lines um, when Rose is getting hammered during Midge's show, and then Susie ends up getting hammered to try and counter Rose drinking so fucking much. Yeah. And then the next day, Midge goes to her parents' uh, hotel room, and she's like, says something about the line is something like, you know, heard you drink your weight in gin. And Rose's line was, I don't weigh that much. That's such a Rose thing to say, isn't it? It really, really is. <laughs> she, not even trying to deny that she drank a lot, but she's like, well, I don't weigh that much. Still very much concerned about her appearance, her yeah. weight, and like you said, totally, totally a Rose thing to say. But You know, just piggybacking off that really quick, and I'm not going to make this about Rose because I know this is Abe's time, but just one thing about that whole drunk thing. The reason why I really did not like that scene it was a well-written scene. I thought it was very cleverly put together. But the reason why I didn't like it is because it just showed the lack of respect that Rose has for her daughter. Oh, absolutely. And I don't like that about Rose. Yeah. And again, this that's going to all go back to the conversation Miriam and Rose are going to have later on in the series. Mm-hmm. But it just shows that Rose has absolutely no... I don't know, no respect, no compassion, just no... She's not even going to try... She's not supportive of her daughter. And she's not even going to try. Right. No, I completely agree, but that is a very... I felt like that was a very classic Rose thing. Oh, she's got to go do this thing she doesn't want to do. She can't eat yet. Classic, but classless. Exactly. Just because someone's classy doesn't mean they're always classy. No. I think that's not exactly how I wanted to word it, but you got where I was going with that. I get what you're saying. No, it, and I think that was that's exactly the point of the scene and the intention of it, and it was done wonderfully, yeah. and the actress that plays Rose did such a great job to even when she's dancing to sh- The dance was great. <laughs> and then- The and then, one last angel in heaven dance yep. was so good. And then uh, and then Abe is cold, because they're sitting under a vent, and so he asks staff for a warm blanket, but I- So, back to Abe. Yeah. I love this kind of uh, reigniting of his past self and that realization of him becoming complicit and being part of the system and the man and yada, 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 and trying and, and trying to find his footing between wanting to go back to those kind of roots, but also still acknowledging where he's at in his life now and that we see that there's things that they're just not willing to give up. And we see by the end that he's thinking about doing like the tutoring thing or the writing, Um, you know, so these are steps for Abe to go to live his dream. You Mm -hmm. know, Midge's Mm -hmm. is to do comedy. Uh, Rose is still somewhat finding hers out, but she's going to try the matchmaking thing. Matchmaker, matchmaker. Sorry. (laughs) Almost got on it again. So I really love that this is the path that Abe is taking. See, the Paladinos can write older people very, very well. <laughs> I feel like they base it. They base it, uh, I mean, if, we're, if we look at, you know, between the Gilmore Girls and this show, the the elderly people, I feel like they're writing more from experience. Exactly. Yep. You get that impression? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, but I, like I said. I love this journey for a- for Abe. I'm really excited to see where this goes. I hope things go very well for the Weissmans because I love them so fucking much. How cute was it when Abe was assaulted in the street 
Oh, and he was and so excited. He loved it because yeah. the written word can change the world. Mm-hmm. And that was his thing. And when he got the tomato thrown at him, and instead of three, a, three tomatoes, <laughs> and then he said it wasn't so much a fight as it was just like a wrestling match on the ground or something <laughs> like that. He still, he loved it. He gave Rose that big kiss. You know, mm-hmm. he was all dirty. And even Rose is laughing because she's even happy for him in that moment. I think Abe is in a position where he's where he could potentially go forward and start becoming the man that he has always wanted to be. Exactly. You know? And, you know, nothing but best of luck to him. I hope, I, I, I do hope it works out in his favor. Yeah. I was happy that he went back to the university and that's just to kind of tour and he chases the one dude oh God, all yeah. across the <laughs> fucking campus. The yeah. uh, but then he wanders into his, like, old lecture hall and it's like in that moment, that's when he realized, no, I'm good. I'm done doing this. I don't want, he, like he's, like he told the kids, you guys belong here, but I don't. Well, except for maybe you, 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 and, and points behind him, you. <laughs> yeah. But all those boys still seemed very sad to see him go. Because they were all just like, goodbye, Professor goodbye, yeah. Professor uh, uh, Weissman. Goodbye, mm-hmm. Professor Weissman. Yeah, it was sad. It could, but that really was him letting go of the past. Exactly, yeah. You know, and... Abe needed that moment, and mm-hmm. I love that he had that reuniting with his friend in Florida, played by Jason <gasps> Alexander. I uh, loved that scene. Criminy, I wrote the name down, but I'm not even close to wherever that page is. Uh, something Friedman, I think. Yes. I, th- uh, I think the last name's Freeman, but but we I think lo- you're right, Asher. Asher Friedman. Okay, yeah, we learned that his friend was his friend was a uh, uh, you know was a com- was a communist, you know, and that he was blacklisted from uh, you know from ever doing any type of Broadway performance again. And we see Abe in a position where one of his well, we learned one of his old best friends. He he's he's fake happy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's talking about. It's like, I got beach, I got water, I got sun, I open and close whenever I want, I set my own hours. You know, these are things that people say to try to convince themselves that they're living a good life, but behind the tone and in behind their eyes, it's like they're miserable and he hates himself. And and, and, and even though he conveys that to to Abe, Abe saw right through that before he even said it out loud. So Mm -hmm. Abe goes out of his way to help his friend by writing that article, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. It was just such an awesome thing for Abe to do for another person. Because throughout the series, we don't see Abe doing a lot for other people, but we always get the impression that Abe is can be a supportive person. Mm-hmm. A little more than Rose, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. You know, Abe's just more of a, he's just more cautious. Yeah. You know, typical Jewish father. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> well, even like last season, you know, Miriam's got a job. Okay, well, you need an account and you need insurance and this and all yeah, these things. Yeah, yeah. He's like, okay. Yeah. All right. I um, love that. And oh, even no, that's... last season, the way he short, the way he was able to change for Rose and keep her, you know, to keep her happy, you know, after after she ran ran away to to Paris and everything, and like how we talked about, we were initially worried that things were just going to fall back the same old Wiseman ways, but then Abe came back and he's like, we've got dance classes here, and we're dinner this, mm-hmm, and so. Mm-hmm. He will, once he knows, he's maybe not always attuned to that there's a problem, but once he's aware of it, if he likes you, if he cares about you, he will try to help. He will, And I think this season definitely showed his capacity to do that and want to do that. Let me ask you, 
No, I have an answer. Just kidding. (laughs) So I have an answer for this too, but I want to hear yours first. Do you have any moments this season for Abe that really stood out to you? I have two. I don't. Not that I can really think of. I just, I, but I do enjoy, I, I love Abe Weissman. Tony Shalhoub does a fantastic fucking job uh, with that character. Oh, God, yeah. I love it. Um, just this is real... his best character since Monk. And see, and I never got into Monk, but I was always very happy for him that yeah. that show went on and was ex- as successful as it was. Because yeah. to me, he's always going to be Antonio, the cab driver from Wings. I unfortunately uh, don't, don't understand that reference. No, I do. I've I, I watched Wings when I was a little kid, but I don't really remember a lot of it. You know what? It's funny because I couldn't tell you a single fucking episode, but I remember the airport set. Was it Ted Danson? Or no, Ted no. Danson was Cheers. Yeah, right? yeah. Okay. But yeah. Anyways, um, well, the other right. thing I want to say real quick with Abe and Jason Alexander's character was, I loved it. The Jason Asher's story and the way Jason told that story, I thought was one of the more heartbreaking stories. And the way Abe felt that too of even being like, I'm sorry, we let you down. Yeah. We let you down. So many, you didn't do anything, New York, and, you know, we all turned our backs on you. And I am truly sorry. I fucking love that. Jason Alexander did a great job with that scene, broke my fucking heart just mm-hmm. in talking about how. Everyone left him and let him down. And that was happening a lot. And that was, those were real things happening yeah. during those times too. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I have to agree. And it, and Jason Alexander, you know, was probably one of the last people I expected to make a cameo in this show. I would have never thought in a million. Oh, I squealed when he jumped out of that water. When I first saw him, <laughs> when I first saw him, I was just, I think I was like, <laughs> slapped my hands together really hard. I was like, Yes! George Costanza! <laughs> exactly! <laughs> and Wait, I just got done watching Seinfeld, all the episodes not that oh long boy. ago, so I'm still kind of fresh off of a Jason Alexander kit. <laughs> okay? So that was great. But but it's always nice to see him doing something so far removed from George Costanza. That is true. That so, is true, because he's such a talented actor. Yeah. He really is. All right, so what were your standout moments Oh, for oh, right. So, um... Oh, shit. I got, sorry. I, I had, I had a okay. brain fart there. Okay. Yeah. So I had two moments this season with Abe that actually really do stick out to me. Um, one was very funny and one was very inspirational. Mm. So the first, the funny one was actually the night that him and Rose go to Miriam's show for the very first time. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting at the table and then Susie joins the table. And <laughs> I know where has, you're going with this one. <laughs> he has Susie to just reenact the entire show line word for, for word. word for word. So he has no surprises. That is Abe in a nutshell right there. Yes. <laughs> I loved that scene. I laughed so hard. And I admit I too was like, fucking Abe, Classic Abe. That is so classic (laughs) Abe. So that is, it's seriously to me one of the funniest moments he had all season. And it didn't even last that long. It's just like, oh, that is such his character. Mm -hmm. Now, the other one that I loved came much later in the season. It was episode seven where Miriam is doing the radio bits and him and her and her father are having the discussion in the kitchen. And he, she tells him she's excited that she's going to be doing a radio ad for a politician lady. Mm-hmm. And when he finds out who it is, it's this woman, and I can't pronounce her last name, but her name is Phyllis Schlafly. I, I, I didn't know who this woman was until this episode. 
And I never bothered looking her name up until I watched it this time around. But this woman was a fucking monster. Real. This woman was a real politician. Right-wing, absolute fucking nutjob. Sorry, I don't mean to get political on your show, but she was... Fuck it. She would have... If this woman would have... Marjorie Green Taylor? Yeah. She would have fucking set women back even, you know, forever. Lauren Bobart. Tammy Lauren or uh, Tammy Lauren, all of them. Yeah, she's yeah. they're the new generation of her. Yeah, basically. they descended from that cunt. Yeah, but he had such a great line when he found out because Miriam was completely oblivious to who this woman was. She just thought she was doing a ad for a, mm-hmm. a female politician. And then once he found out who it was, he was like, "If you're going to have a voice, then you better be careful of what that voice says." Mm-hmm. And Miriam, after that, did her research. She took her father's words to heart, found out who this woman was, and said, I don't want my voice to represent what this woman stands for. Mm -hmm. And that is such a powerful moment for both Miriam and Abe. I think especially for Miriam, the fact that she took her father's words to heart. Mm -hmm. But Abe set the tone for all of that. Mm -hmm. And it was such a fatherly thing, I think. That was fatherly advice mm-hmm. i think that he gave to his daughter who wanted to use her voice and again supportive mm-hmm. exactly. supportive in a way that rose isn't necessarily supportive he is because support- midge wanted to run lines and, yeah. and rehearse and that's when he noticed yeah. and but he was willing to do so yeah he was and but then once he I saw where it was so much <laughs> so i i just really appreciate that mo- that moment that he had with miriam and mm-hmm steering her in the correct direction yep. there. And then just the way that whole ad ended up turning out anyway. Oh my god. Shit ever. So then again, pick a lane. Is there racial strife or not in this uh, universe? That's the thing. <laughs> We're Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's confusing. This is this is this is this is a multiverse thing going on right here, I feel, but And it's not even that big of a universe. You know, when you talk about Paladinos, you've got Stars Hollow, maybe Bunheads, but neither. I'm at this point. I'm, oh God, I'm morbidly curious to know how Bunheads writing wise compares to Gilmore Girls. Well, and Bunheads Maisel. only lasted one season, so I'm guessing it's probably not going to be that. Well, I that's mean, if, not you want, necessarily... if you wanted to do a mini bubble on it, I'd be dead. That's just because it <laughs> ran for Firefly ran for one season. Yeah, that's so true it's too. not It doesn't mean it doesn't have an impact. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. But I'm just curious about the writing, the beat, that whole kind of the the Paladino's rhythm that they're they're known for. Yeah, they're sure. known for that fast-paced talking and all all the references and things, but they're also not known for the God, what do you think what, what do you think a conversation between Lorelai and Miriam would go like? Holy shit. Do you think it would be dreadful? I don't know that it would be dreadful, but I think my neck would get exhausted from basically doing like the cast watch back and forth, you know, but Uh, just a random thought. Yeah. Sorry. It could be kind of uh, entertaining, but uh, let's see. So those are, those are classic. I love your Abe moment picks. Um, I hadn't really thought of it, but solid picks and I second ditto because those are really really great fucking Abe moments. I think any moment with Abe is a great Abe moment because mm-hmm. I fucking love him so much. Yeah. Now, when it comes to the Elder Mazels, I don't really have a whole lot to say other than the odd coupling pairing of the Weissmans and Mazels. 
I would be Rose screaming in the street like a cuckoo pants person as well at that point. I do not blame them for picking up and running away to Florida or or, yeah, to Florida to catch up because they didn't have anywhere else to go. And, First, and then, they went out west, I think. Like, yeah, in Utah, they they're started... like, what are we going to do in Utah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, oh my God. How how do I, I, I love the Maisels, the elder Maisels, because I love the actors that play them, and they play them so well. But holy fuck, are they obnoxious. So, the Maisels, <laughs> I feel like, are the only characters in this show that don't really need development. Because they are who they are. Yeah. You know? It's, yeah, yeah. And I, I love Moish and I love Shirley. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. I, these are two extremely well-written characters. And you can easily fall in love and be annoyed by them at the exact same time. That's mm-hmm. the thing. But you got to appreciate their, just how how much they look out for their family. How, about how much they love their family. Just want to... They just want them to know that they care. Mm-hmm. Moish is a little more harsh because he's very sarcastic. You know, Shirley, Shirley's... Very, um, oh God, I don't want to say stereotypical, but I, I grew up with a Jewish grandmother. I, I, I have seen this behavior, okay? Mm-hmm. Very well written. Yeah. That's what I'll say. It's very well written. Some uh, truth behind the character and, and her actions and, and stuff. So. Exactly, exactly. Yep. But yeah, I, I mean, again, I feel like they've just, they're, they're playing their characters. And that's all they can, that they really can do. Um, I will say, though, that Moish in this season... Not developmentally as far as, like, his character goes, but I think as far as, like, where his heart is, he's starting to come around a little more to Miriam and what she's doing, even though he still doesn't think she's funny. That moment that him and Miriam have when she goes to him about the apartment, Mm -hmm. and he says, I never will understand or like what my son did to you. Yes. I thought that was a very good moment and a very important moment. Yeah. Um, And the thing is, is that... Moish is not a very trusting person, Mm-mm. I think, when it comes to, like, you know, financially, like, and his investments. And, you know, I mean, it's... Based on their bookkeeping from last year? Yeah. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> seriously. But in that scene, he trusted Miriam, mm-hmm. saying, you know, you know, with, about selling her the apartment. Mm-hmm. And... I don't think Moish would have even done that for his son. He probably wouldn't have even sold the apartment back to to Rose and uh, to Rose and Abe. Mm-hmm. I, not that I know of. I mean, yeah. but he saw there was something there in that moment where he truly respected, put, respected, yeah. respected. Thank you, respected, trusted, and just was like, okay, yeah, let's do this. And um, of course, that ended up blowing up, yeah. but still. Um, so that would be my only development I've really seen with Moish. It's just that he's becoming a little more trusting of people. Mm-hmm. And Shirley is just going to be loud and just ranting, raving, and be like, Ethan! Oh, my God. I got I, peanut butter! I got peanut butter! I got peanut butter and jelly! I got <laughs> soup! I got chicken! I got chicken soup! Vegetable soup! <laughs> vegetable chicken soup! <laughs> uh, Shirley never change. <laughs> never change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you said, we don't... I don't think I want these characters to grow beyond, like you said, maybe Moish and his hot a little bit and, yeah, and open it no. up. And maybe that was a little bit more of like he felt a bit guilty, and so he was more inclined to say yes to Miriam maybe. as opposed to saying yes to Joel. 
his son. Sure, sure, sure. You know, but either way, I thought that was a very nice moment and very good on Moish. Let me ask you, do you think that, uh, do you think that, uh, Moish, do you think your couch would pass the tush test? <laughs> <laughs> the tush always knows. <laughs> the way he barely touched any of the furniture. Nope. Oh, <laughs> oh my god, and then they sleep naked and he's never got pants. It's like on. you don't sleep in the buff. Yeah. And then and then at the end, you know, Abe's like, uh, he doesn't care that Moish isn't wearing pants, he's got news. Oh um, man. He's like, I'm looking out. It's like uh, it's uh, seven forty five PM, I'm looking out the window and the world's still the same. Yeah. <laughs> so but I, that's just Moish though. So. Yeah. So I love I love the elder Mazels. I don't want to see a lot of change in no. them. I just think let them be a little bit of I want a stereotype. For, I want their development relief. for their son. That's where the yes. development really comes yes. in, is for, his, for their son. And I love Joel so much. Joel and Abe and Dr. Shazam. <laughs> Dr. Shazam. <laughs> a couple other things really quick, if yeah. that's okay. Uh, just some uh, little small moments that happened in this season. Uh, Are these stray bubbles? We'll hold off. Okay. Now it's time for stray bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I don't have much else to go for to go on uh, with the Wisemans and Mazels, okay. but I wanted to get that out there because okay. Jason Alexander was great. Yeah, Abe's got abs for days. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Abe's got a dad bod for days, but it's a good looking dad it's a, bod. It's a tight dad bod. It's not a David Harper. It's not a. Or, it's not. It's, a, it's not a, a Hopper Stranger Things season one dad bod, but this is. Tight dad bod. It's all the tight dad bod. Like you put your hands on it, it's like yeah, it looks big, but it's really there's some muscle <laughs> under there. Yeah. So, um, what do you have for stray bubbles? Well, first I want to acknowledge uh, a character we haven't even mentioned yet, and that's uh, Lenny Bruce. Me too. That's what <laughs> I I will say this about Lenny Bruce. I love Lenny Bruce. Oh, I, um, <laughs> I love this actor that they have to portray this uh, real life character. Yeah. And it's like, I'm watching it, and I was like, man, we don't get a lot of Lenny this season. And for a second, I was like, I want more Lenny Bruce. And then I was like, actually, I don't. I want to keep Lenny Bruce as, like, almost this mythological kind of character in Maisel's world. He just comes in, you know, at the right moment. You know, he's that guy, right. And what a great opportunity for him to come into the show when she was in Miami. Mm -hmm. I mean... First off, they're totally putting out the will-they-won't-they they vibes. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's so – oh, and they got so close. Oh, my God. She made so it to close. the door. Mm-hmm. She made it to the door, but then she's like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. You know, and he respected that. He respects her as an artist. He respects yes. her as a person. And Lenny Bruce's respect doesn't come easily. No. So – the fact that Mrs. that Mrs. Maisel's had this kind of impression on him is strikingly unique for his character. Mm-hmm. And going back to the whole mysterious vibe, you know, we were talking about before, I think he sees a bit of a mystery in Midge. Like he gets her, but he doesn't get her. Sure. You know, it's yeah. a whole uptown vibe yep. and he's not from the uptown, but yet she's bringing this downtown, you know, 40th street fucking <laughs> vibe. You know, um, and the, they just have such really good interactions this season. He saves her from that creep at the bar. 
mm-hmm. you know, and I, I loved that. Yep. Um, and then he brought her to the taping of Miami After Dark, and I thought that was really cool too because I, I don't know if that was actually really show a real show, but I know that was a play on of a Playboy Playboy After Dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was something like that, and I just love that he brought her on camera, and he's sitting there with. Oh, what was that woman's name? She was a real celebrity, like Jaja Gabor. Jaja Gabor. Was it, it was one of the Gabors. It was Jaja. Yeah. It was Jaja, and he's having that argument off cam. You know, there's someone off camera. He's having an argument of with uh, um um uh Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee, Tennessee Williams. Williams. Yeah, Tennessee Williams. Okay. Oh, I loved it. It's just like everything about that episode was just so great um, because you're right. We didn't get a lot of Lenny this season, but in the end we didn't need a lot of exactly. Lenny this season, but just cause he's not there doesn't mean he's not there. It's almost like his presence in the series kind of matches where Midge is in the beginning in season one. She needed him a little bit more. Yeah. She gets arrested with him. I mean, aside from other things that happened in her life that kind of helped open her eyes and pave the way for this new life. And she doesn't need him as much now in season three. So we only get, what, the two episodes where he makes an appearance. And on top of that, the other parallel is Abe being arrested with Lenny at the beginning. Just going to say it. And how that has changed Abe's perspective and paves the way for this new Because change. her and Abe had that argument about how she, about, her, you know, how Lenny is standing up for, you know, for, is getting arrested yep. for this stuff. And he, you know, she's basically calling her father out on mm-hmm. it. So... Kind of like it was it's kind of like a reverse role of Abe giving her the advice about her voice. He's taking her advice to go and hear his voice yep. and find out what the what this is all about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in a roundabout way and, it, you know, it's probably unspoken or maybe not even intentional. And I'm just seeing this and I'm overthinking it. But in a roundabout way, I'm kind of gathering like one of the big things we should take away from this season is our voices stand for something. Mm hmm. But what you choose to do with it is going to really impact on how society sees you. Yep. So how do you want to be remembered? And I kind of get that a little bit from this season. Yeah. And yeah, fucking Lenny Bruce, man. Yeah, fucking Lenny Bruce. Fucking Lenny so Bruce. I love it. And I loved their parting interaction. And he's just like, someday, basically like you and me, someday. And she acknowledges that there's the tension there. They've shared the looks throughout the that episode on their little kind of mini date and everything. Yeah. Oh, and and then lo- she's like, it's a date. And I was like, <laughs> I love that restaurant that they went to or bar, whatever it was, the Cuban, the Cuban uh, oh, yeah. uh, uh, joint. And that singer, and oh, I loved his voice. That mm-hmm. song. And I actually loved the um, just the way that whole scene was shot. Yeah. I really did because – so I, fluid and it, just ethereal almost. It was all one motion with the camera. And was that a single shot? I know? think it was. I think Ooh. that was all single shot. I Because the camera's constantly following him. There, He's singing the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And I, but I love the imagery of just like this this suave singer just coming up. And there's, the, the bar is lined with beautiful women, you know, wearing all these wonderfully colorful dresses. And he's going and he's singing to all them, but he never stops. Mm-hmm. He never stops. They're all looking at him. They're smiling, but he never stops. And he just keeps doing his thing. And then he goes to the side of the room and then the camera pans on Lenny mm-hmm. and Miriam sitting there. But it was all done in one single, one single shot. And it was just a gorgeous piece of cinematography. I think as far as television cinematography goes, that might be some of the best I've ever seen. That was very, very good. Yeah, I was wondering if that was a single shot take because 
those I love when you find out certain scenes were just all done in one take because all in single shot, no yeah. cuts, no editing. Uh, like uh, one of the fight scenes, I think in the Daredevil season two, like there's a stairwell stairway fight. Yeah, I think that was all a single shot. And there's another uh-huh. one I can't think of right now. I love it, and that just puts that much more like respect and appreciation on the people behind the camera calling those shots. Obviously, the actors and the stunt actors in it because you fuck up at any point. You got to do it all, all over, again. over again. No matter how far along you've gotten into it. Yeah, yes. exactly. So I fucking love that. I wonder that, how many times so. they may have had to film that scene. Who knows? Yeah, seriously. But yeah, what a gorgeous scene. I love that. And then their dance was fantastic mm-hmm. too. Oh my God. Like I felt the tension. I was, I'm all fucking like little mermaid. No, 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 Kiss the girl. Just kiss the girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, any other stray bubbles you got? Stray question for you. Oh, sure. Do you feel, feel like sticking with that, uh, Lenny and, uh, uh, Miriam, do you feel like when she got to the hotel that he was staying at, do you think that may have been what partially swayed her from not going in the room with him? Do you think, uh, because not that Miriam's that kind of woman per se, but she was under the impression he was living in Miami. Mm-hmm. Had like she even said that to him. I thought you had, and kind of the way she said it, she's like, "I thought you had an apartment." Yeah, you yeah. Know? Do you think maybe her going into Lenny's hotel room as opposed to his apartment kind of made a di- would have made a difference? Like, let's say it was an apartment. Mm, in the I okay, honestly, I don't think it did. I don't think Lenny staying in a, a hotel changed. Uh, how Miriam feels about Lenny. Okay. Um, that That is a really good point, though, because I could see that maybe being a subconscious thing for Miriam. But at this point, she's pretty well established a yep. life on the road. So Absolutely. she's getting the hang of it and everything. So Absolutely. I don't... But we see Miriam living her life, going around with assumptions, right? So it... I could see that being an assumption that, oh, he's only in a hotel and not in an apartment as being something to look down upon. But yes, that's kind of what I was going where I was going with that. But I don't I didn't I didn't pick up on that. I, I thought that it was more of she would rather she would rather keep the tension between her and Lenny than to bridge it and then deal with whatever that aftermath is. Sure. Absolutely. She wants to keep she wants to keep doing that song and dance. You know, I said I want more shy and Reggie angst. You know what? I want more fucking Lenny and Midge angst. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, I have one more stray bubble mm-hmm. and then I am done. Okay. So this is and you know you might have this written down as well. I'd be surprised if you didn't. So this is call, a callback to Gilmore Girls. Paris Geller! Paris Geller! Liza Wheel <laughs> as Carol. Her. Yes, and she was great in this show. Yes, she was. And she fan- played a real person. Oh, she, the bass player is based yes, off a real. Yes. Oh, I was like, well, of course she's. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yes, Lisa Wheel is a real person. <laughs> okay, so Carol is that she's she was a real bass. Yes, bassist. Okay, yep. I didn't know that. Yep, I only read a little bit. Now this is why I think a redo would be fun because then that would give me a chance to go back and dive deeper into who these people were, uh, like. You know, like Lenny Bruce, uh, Carol, and but how shy is an amalgamation of 
these characters of, of different humans yeah, of different sure. people that actually live. Well, so, they, they, like he's just about he he was inspired by maybe other. Yes, Shy yeah. Baldwin did not actually exist, right, but right. obviously different artists, black artists at the time did. So sure. he's kind of yeah. I do like how the Paladinos do kind of in some ways nonchalantly work in real real people into oh, their yeah. show, you yeah. know? Um, so I think that is cool. But yeah, oh gosh. So obviously I saw this series before I ever watched Gilmore Girls, so I didn't know who she was. And it wasn't until maybe season one, two, three, four, I'll say five. He just counted the, my DVDs <laughs> <the> seasons <laughs> I was of Gilmore pro- Girls. I would say it was probably about season five when I realized that they were the same person. Oh, okay. I, I just didn't think about it. And Lisa Wheel is now on another series um, on Fox, which also airs on Hulu, The Cleaning Lady. Oh, really? It's a very good show. I'm a little biased because I already covered it, uh, but it is a very good show. I would recommend it. Lisa, I, I, you know what? She's yeah. one of my she's one of my new Hollywood crushes. Yeah, oh, she's amazing. She's she's fantastic. But yeah, but I love no, that she popped up. In and this. I just love the interactions between her and Midge mm-hmm. and her giving her advice and, you know, what it's been like for her on the road for 15 years mm-hmm. and how her family relationship has been over that time. Giving her advice about if you're going to sleep with someone in the band, keep it completely casual. But yeah, her one night stand tips. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's for someone who lives their life like that, that's that's got to be how it is. That's you know? some so- it was that's... some solid advice, I thought. Yeah. But, and, and uh, is it pronounced Lisa Wheel? Because I've been saying it Liza. I have no idea now. Well, Liza, Lisa, I... potato, potato. Um, I think I've said Lisa. Like okay. Lisa, but with a Z. Okay. Well, either way, um, this is only the second thing I've ever seen her in, knowingly. And... I now have like a real fine appreciation for what she can do on camera. She's a good actor. Because she was on another series. I think it was How to Get Away with Murder. Never saw it. I never saw it either. But she was, I think she was in, I think that was the one, the other show that she was in. Like the more, a more recent show that she was in. So, um, yeah, that one I never, I never got around to, but I was very curious about. Now it's been so long. Who knows when I'll get to it. Um, But yeah, I... I fucking giggle. I loved. I love Paris. Did you giggle when you first saw her? On camera? I was just like, I think I yelled Paris, <laughs> and I got really, really happy. And I was really happy she was playing this character. That this character is actually a, a real life person, and the way that she portrayed a seasoned touring musician yeah. from her demeanor, the way she spoke, you know, stool set, stool set, you know, after yep. Shy got beat up and he grabs a stool. She was kind of like the leader of the group without, you know, when, without being a little, a, a little bit. Yeah. She just was familiar. And I think we just, we get that impression because we meet her through Midge. So we're seeing her a little bit, maybe through Midge's eyes sure. where there is a, a, a bit of a, a leader, maybe kind of lens that she's uh midge is seeing her through yeah um but i definitely got the feeling that she knew what she was doing she knew what she was talking about like i said well seasoned uh just is finger on the pulse of everything of that lifestyle mm-hmm. and enough. so even the way that she talks about parenting and touring and how it's like yes i miss all these things with my children but i'm my own person I'm basically living I get I get to see the world and I get to do all these things that especially for women in the 60s didn't get to experience or at the very least maybe did experience but we never got to hear their side of it. Yeah, right. You know, and how important it was for them to experience that life. So sure, sure. I I loved it. I was so happy 
I was so fucking happy. And I know, I know that there are more Gilmore Girls actors coming up in future seasons. Like I know uh, Milo Vendemilera, mm-hmm. who played Jess Mariano, is I think in season four. Mm-hmm. Um, Kelly Bishop, who is the amazing Emily Gilmore, comes in season four, as well as John Waters. So I'm really excited. To see, and even though John Waters wasn't part of the Gilmore Girls, just as a side note, yes, John Waters. Okay, well, you took two of mine, so that's great. <laughs> I, and I know, and I mean that because that saves time. So, my stray bubbles, what I've got real quick the head of food and beverage at the <laughs> casino. I was, I got major oh, casino oh. vibes. Oh, Angie, Angie, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Casino vibes. And then Susie telling Midge, don't ever sit in his swivel, swivel, swivel chair. chair. Yeah. And then the last thing, because I do have, like, quotes and stuff that I thought were really funny, but we don't need to revisit those. Um, This is now the third series that I have watched recently that has the song Dream a Little Dream. Uh, It it appeared in The Boys Mm -hmm. in this uh, current season with Kimiko. Okay. And in Stranger Things. How's the song go? Dream a little dream of me, stars shining bright above you. Holy shit, Jen can sing. <laughs> stars whistling, I love you. Birds singing in the sycamore tree. Dream a little dream of me. That, that was real amazing. Awkward. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> For everyone, my eyes were, like, wide open. (laughs) Like, I was like, whoa. So, yeah, so that song, I I binged through Stranger Things season four, and Mm -hmm. that song plays there. Got caught up. It appears, like, in the first episode of The Boys. Okay. Um, And all I could sit, all I could think was that while I'm sitting there watching it, it's like, I swear to God, if it pops up in a third show, what other show could this fucking pop up in? And, and then I started my Maisel pod prep, and I was like, there it is. I was like, what does it mean? <laughs> it's a sign. Maybe I need to sleep more. <laughs> get a good REM get sleep. Get some rest, and darling. Some, and actually have, like, a nice dream. Oh, well, well, get, some, get some rest. You get look tired. Sleep. Yeah. All right. Well, right on. So that's a good catch. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I said, it popped up in straight. I love, and I love the song, Ella Fitzgerald, so... Um, but I just thought it's it's just really interesting that these and season four or season three of Maisel isn't even like its most current season, no. you know, but I'm talking like the most current season of the boys and season four, part one of Stranger Things. Yeah, so I was like, yeah. what are the fucking odds, man? That's crazy. I mean, now, if Maisel had gone to Russia because there's Russian aspects within the boys and Stranger Things, I probably just would have thrown my notebook out of the window and just, <laughs> like, gone on a walkabout to be like, what does it all mean? <laughs> you know, read too much into things. We all right. Now, we are on to the latest segment of my streaming bubble, the most random bubble of my streaming bubble, The Six Degrees of Nicolas Cage, oh. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Season 3 edition. Now, I make the distinction of Season 3 just on the off chance that we get bored and want to go back and do Seasons 1 and 2 with different actors. But with that said, how many... I'm, I'm excited to see which route you took and okay. where you ended up because... For me, the fun of it is to see, did we end up at the same ending spot? 
Uh-huh. And did we take the same route? Okay. So. Well, for me, see, what I got to get better at with this is doing more of them. I'm always doing, like, just one. Mm. Um, so maybe for whatever our next pod's going to be, I'm going to try to at least fit in two. Um, Do as many as you want. I have done, you know, more than one, but today I only got one. So this one, I wanted it to be longer. I wanted it to be a full six degrees, but it ended up being only three degrees, but not intentionally. It was not what I want, the way I went, wanted to go. So this is my three degrees of Nicolas Cage, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel edition. And it all starts with the most wonderfully and just one of my favorite new actresses now alex borstein who is just so amazing Susie. um so i didn't know this until i did my research but Susie played a character named alex Susie, sorry alex <laughs> <laughs> sorry right. i can start calling her lois <laughs> alex borstein actually was not one of the main characters but she also starred in a just god-awful fucking movie called Catwoman with oh, Halle Berry. That? She played a character named Sally. Well, that movie sucked, but the connection here is that Halle Berry also happened to play in a fucking amazing movie back in the 90s called Bullsworth with Warren oh, Beatty. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Get that movie. Get a superstar. That is what you are. I got that on my phone. I love that <laughs> Me song. Me too. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Warren Beatty is such a great actor, He's so, and he has so many classic movies out there. But Warren Beatty also happened to star in a movie in the early 90s called Becoming Iconic, mm. which his co-star in that film was Nicolas Cage. No shit. Mm-hmm. Wow. Warren Beatty and Nicolas Cage... We're in, okay. They were in the same movie together. And how we missed this during our Nicolas Cage uh, recording thing. Look, there was, at the time, there was like 108 <laughs> acting credits. There were so many. And we only had so ama- much time. Exactly. We but, should do another one where we cover the ones we didn't cover. Ooh, like the B-sides? Yeah. Ooh, that would be a good After one. After we do Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Oh, it's so good, you guys. So fucking good. So but yeah, that's my uh, six slash three degrees. Alex Bornstein to Halle Berry to Warren Beatty to Nicholas Cage. Very good. Yeah. Very, very good. All right. Well, I got there. It took me four steps. Um, but I went the route of Michael Zegan, who plays Joel, because I don't know oh. if you guys know this. I love Joel. No. <laughs> I know. God, if Joel was in the Suicide Squad, Big, you'd probably holy fuck, never leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> Your TV would be running constantly, 24-7 on Suicide Squad. <laughs> All right. So, starting with Michael Zegan, he was in the movie Adventureland. Uh, oh, really? And he played a character named Eric. Hey. Uh, also in that movie was uh, Wendy Malick, and I love her. Like, she was on, like, Just Shoot Me. She was, like, the very, like, kind of... It was like an old like '90s TV sitcom. It had David Spade, um, who a bunch of other people, and I can't think of who they are now. But uh, she was in that. She's been in a bunch of other things, and I love seeing her. Uh, But she was also in the movie Waiting, which is one of my favorite fucking movies. God, I haven't seen that movie in so long. You know, after watching that, I didn't go out to eat for maybe like two months (laughs) (laughs) oh it's like the only movie with dane cook in it that i fucking love that's not true there's two movies that happen to have dane cook in them that i actually love but i really loved the movie waiting it's so accurate um 
But Wendy Malick plays Monty's mom in Waiting. That's just how she's credited on IMDb. Okay. And in that movie also stars Justin Long, oh. who is in a little movie called The Sasquatch Gang, which is fucking hilarious. Hmm. And I highly recommend it. Okay. It's so funny. It's so ridiculous. And the guy that played Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, oh. he's like the only other actor that... I recognized at the time when I was watching it. You want to bet I could throw a football over the mountains. <laughs> um, but also in the Sasquatch Gang is the actor Stephen Tobolowski, and you might know him as Ned Ned Ryerson from Groundhog Day. Oh, but he's like Ned. Yeah, he's, sure. He's like that guy. Okay. You know, he's 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 a world famous that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. But he was also an adaptation with Nicolas Cage. Oh, cool. So That's a good one. That's how I did it. Nice. All right. Fantastic. All right. So real quick, we'll wrap up with what's been streaming in our bubble. Uh, well, uh, just like you, I just finished uh, season four of Stranger Things. But I have, since finishing season four, I've actually gone back and started watching the series all over. Me too. Again. Have you? <laughs> I'm on. I'm on season three now. Okay. Uh, season three, episode four, as of today. Okay. Uh, but it's more. It's like my background show. Yeah, you yeah. know, I do it when I'm exercising. But still, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I'm still in season one because some pod prep got in the way. Oh, you got <laughs> and, and new seasons also got in the way. There's a lot going on right now. Too. Um, let's see. Actually, starting tonight, Anastasia and I are going to start watching season two of Hacks. Um, which oh, okay. yeah, we, yeah. we love that show. If you haven't seen it, I absolutely recommend it. It's about a woman who was one of the top comedians, actually, of the 1970s and maybe even in the 60s. And she's starting to fade out from society. Mm-hmm. She's becoming one of those, like, she's a classic comedian, but she only brings in a certain audience. And she had, like, a stint in Vegas, but now they're about to give up her slot. And she gets a young assistant who's helps to try to manage her online portfolio and okay. her career. And they end up being on the totally opposite sides of each other. Um, like the, you know, our protagonist, she's more old school. She's more set in her older ways. She doesn't think young people know what they're talking about. And of course it's the opposite for her assistant. She thinks that she's just an old hack who's just never going to move forward and progress. Yeah. But they end up coming together in realizing that they have more in common than they think. And, it's an outstanding series. It's funny as fucking hell. Um, so I would recommend Hacks. It's on HBO Max. And there is another show. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> Maybe there wasn't another show. That might actually be <laughs> it right now. Yeah, I'm thinking that might actually be it. Well, so, you also re- was, uh, restarted Gilmore Girls. And... Yeah, yeah, I did start restart Gilmore Girls. I'm not binging it like I was. Yeah. But, you know, I'm about, what, four or five episodes into the first season again. And... This time around, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to go into it with, um, like, trying to find things and pick out things that I didn't really notice. Sure, sure. I mean, Gilmore Girls is, like, it's, like, what, seven seasons and 20-something episodes a season, and, you know, it's it's a, it's a long it's walk. A lot, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to drift every now and sure. then. But I'm sure I'm going to pick things up along the way. So Gilmore Girls this time around is probably going to take me a lot longer to get through the second time, but I'm going to get there. Yeah. But, yeah, that's... I would say that's really about it. So basically, I'm just watching stuff that I've watched before. Nothing too new has really interested me, except for the new season of Hacks that I'm going to start watching oh, tonight. Okay. So, all right. right what on. about you? Oh my God! Well, we're streaming. I've been streaming all the new things. Yeah. So finished Stranger Things, uh-huh. and now I'm rewatching uh, season four, part one with Timmy. Okay. Uh, and then all caught up on the boys. 
this third I gotta season. Get on, I got to get on the new season. I've heard it's good so far. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. You okay. let me know when you finish that first episode. Oh, oh like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, you got it. <laughs> maybe, maybe I can convince Anastasia to fit that into our schedule this weekend, too. <laughs> so... Yeah, so that's been, I mean, watch all of them, but yeah, definitely. Of course. Definitely, I highly recommend. And then we're also watching Obi-Wan, but I have not watched the most recent episode, I know. Sorry, I, I forgot. I, I'm doing Obi-Wan as well. I totally forgot. Yeah. yeah. That was probably the other show you were that's thinking pro- of. That was it. I'm sorry. Um, other than that, um, I mean, I already watched the shit out of Shorzy, and I've gone through twice. Because that's a really easy rewatch. Oh, yeah. And I just finished Shorzy, too. And you Jesus. just finished Shorzy. How am I forgetting this? I don't know. <laughs> I'm terrible it's at like keeping track of television shows. You know? <laughs> I can't remember. Also, oh, and I just watched the first episode of Miss Marvel. Mrs. Marvel on, uh, or no, Miss Marvel, Marvel on, uh, yeah. uh, on uh, Disney+. Disney Plus. Plus. Yeah. And it was good. Yeah. I liked it. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I really want to watch it because I loved the trailer for it. And, you know, I'm just... I want to check it out. Did you it's Marvel? Did you, did you know that there is a Facebook page? Of course, there yes, is. I know. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. What the fuck? Yep. What the fuck? And it well, and the little bit that I kind of saw surrounding that was questioning and questioning whether or not it's a legit group in that it's not a spoof because it was put together by Wade Wilson. I did see that. So, but again, people can, you, whatever. People it's are like fucking a, terrible. It's like a Christians against um, Mrs. Miss Marvel. Yeah, it's a white supremacist group. Yeah, it's fucking That's terrible. It fucking terrible. I know what's funny. They're trying to portray her. Uh, they're trying to portray her in that, in that group as gay. But Kamala Khan is not gay. Mm. She just has, she just has trouble speaking to boys. And she, she, she's just uh. not comfortable with it. Except for her one friend that she has in the comics, but she's not she she's not a gay character. Now, so, what if they made her a gay character for the series for the sake of representation? So the, then so the fuck what? Yeah. Then that's what they do. Just like we talked about in our Batman episode, as long as the core aspects of the character are there, mm-hmm. nothing else matters. Right, right, and I got to agree with that. But well, yes, because we said that in our Batman, we yes, all said we that. Said that. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but I recommend Miss Marvel. I mean, they're only one episode in. But it's mm-hmm. a cl- it, it was a clever episode. I really okay. liked it. I think I'm going to wait for that one for a few more episodes and do a proper binge. Because if I sure. watch the first one and I get sucked in and I love it like I tend to do with things, I'm going to be like, again, I'm going to have my Veruca Salt moment of, but I want it Is now. there anything coming out soon that you're actually looking forward to? Uh, yes. And that can all be heard on my mini bubble of what's soon to be streaming. Oh. <laughs> so I did that one last month, but... um. But since I recorded that, yes, I've watched a handful of, of series yeah. that I mentioned. I still need to watch Love, Death, Robots. I need to watch the newest season of Russian Doll, which I didn't mention in that mini bubble because I kind of feel terrible. But I forgot about it. But it came out a while ago and I was looking more towards upcoming stuff, yeah. stuff coming yeah. out in June. So in June, we at the end of June, we'll get a new season of Only Murders in the Building on Hulu, which has Martin, Steve Martin, Martin Short, mm-hmm. and Selena Gomez, and Jane Lynch is hey, in it. I highly recommend you need to watch that show. Okay, it's really. I've seen the previews good. for it, and it looks really funny. And anything with Steve Martin in it is just yeah. basically a go-to for me. And I really like Selena Gomez. I'm not familiar with anything else she's really done, so mm-hmm. this is my first thing ever seeing her in. Oh, okay. and. I love her. I think she's adorable. I and I just like the way that all these characters 
interact and interact with each other and everything. You've got your two old whitest old white dudes that I love to pieces, Steve Martin, Martin Short. And then you've got, you know, your young millennial Generation Z or whatever have you that um, Mm -hmm. Selena Gomez falls into. So there's that. So that's just really fun to watch. Um, But other than. Yeah. So I finished the, the pod prep for Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And then, yeah, just been working my way through rewatching Stranger Things. Um, I'm not sure. I, so I haven't started anything new, new mm-hmm. yet. But uh, just a matter of trying to stay caught up on, on everything that's out right now. Okay. So Awesome. Whew, we did it. Yay. And I'm pretty sure we kept it under our time limit, too. So <laughs> Right around there. <laughs> around there. So. Yeah. Well, this has been marvelous. I see what you did there. <laughs> it was an easy one. Um, but thank you, Eric, for swinging on over to the pod basement. I'm sorry you were almost viciously attacked by, like, the largest stink bug. That thing was huge. It was huge. It was crawling on guys. It was, like, was like, kaiju oh big. <laughs> she saved me. <laughs> me and my essential oils in my squirty bottle. <laughs> Dude, she took control of that. She was batting it, and she, she was like, bam, bam. Punched it right in its fucking nose. Um, <laughs> Don't fuck with my friend. <laughs> so I, so yes, thank you for stopping over, and I apologize for the bug attack. But um, this okay. has been this has been so much fun. I I <laughs> I love talking this show with you. I it's, do too. It's a great one. Because as much as as much as problematic as it certainly can be, it's still very enjoyable, and I think. Maybe that just is a testament to the Paladinos. Maybe they're kind of problematic, but enjoyable to be around. I think so. <laughs> I think so. I have to. Uh, if we're if we're not bad mouthing the show, we're bad mouthing the writers, right? <laughs> so, and you know what? If we didn't care so much, we wouldn't be here. Well, that's the thing, and that's we wouldn't be talking about this show, or you wouldn't be, or you know, you wouldn't be have done your Gilmore episode, or me doing that mini Gilmore episode, you know. We wouldn't have done these if we didn't appreciate the the writing that goes into these characters and the characters that they have created. Yes, there are issues that need to be mm-hmm. worked on, but overall, it's enjoyable to watch, mm-hmm. and uh, it makes for good conversation. It does. It does. So, so thank you, everyone, for listening. I appreciate you all uh, tuning in for this one. <laughs> I don't have a closing written out, so I'm just going to say it. Thanks for listening, and keep streaming. Bye. Bye. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to let me know by rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcast fix. Follow me on Twitter at Streaming Bubble. Find me on Facebook and Instagram as My Streaming Bubble. Have thoughts, suggestions, questions, or want to be tolerated? Email me at MyStreamingBubble at gmail.com. If you want to show your love and support for this little old podcast in monetary form, search My Streaming Bubble over at BuyMeACoffee.com and buy me a cheese wedge. And if you want to take that love and support to the next level, head over to Redbubble where you can find and purchase My Streaming Bubble merch. All monetary support goes right back into this podcast from new recording equipment to night cheese. Thanks for your support and keep streaming.